Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Wednesday night into Thursday morning. Uh, plenty to get into throughout the course of the show tonight. We have a couple uh, a couple Eagles-related topics that we will get to uh, a little later on um, in regards to what's going on with them during the bye week. Uh, a bunch of different people offering takes on the quarterback situation. Uh, from current players to former players to analysts. So we'll get to that a little later on in the show. Um, we'll talk about the Flyers, who are they're, they're just a disgrace at this point. I mean, you fire the coach, usually at least at a very minimum, that's something that is going to, you know, even if it's not sustainable, success and sustainable change usually a team gets some sort of of jump from that they get a little bit of initial boost from uh, the firing of a coach and and a new voice and it kind of rattles some cages a little bit and and gets people fired up but that doesn't seem to have happened with this team at all and that is really problematic and i think that's a reflection of the leadership on that team, uh, you know, from the captain to uh, the other veteran players who have been around. I mean, to give up seven goals the night your coach is fired, to come out on Wednesday night, completely listless performance against um, a division rival. They get shut out 3 nothing on uh, Wednesday night. So a, a real disappointing performance from the Flyers. And, and, man, I just don't know at all where that organization is going right now and what the future is going to look like because it is uh it is pretty it is pretty ugly to watch right now as we continue to see the flyers descend and this kind of turn into a season that's somewhat similar to last year where very early on you know they come out of the gate they play okay then they fall apart and there's really no way to stop it so we'll get to that a little later on as well um, and a number of other things that we'll touch on throughout the course of the show. But where I did want to start tonight is with the Sixers, as they beat the Hornets once again on Wednesday in Charlotte, 110-106 this time. And, and honestly, a very similar game to what we watched on Monday night, you know, where another close win against the Hornets, who were decimated again. All the guys that were out on Monday night were out again. They didn't get... Uh, the core of their team back due to COVID protocols and, and all the guys that they are missing down there in Charlotte. And the Sixers had to scrounge their way uh, to a very close victory. It was another dominant performance from Joel Embiid, who the Sixers needed down the stretch to step up and save them uh, again in this game. Uh, 32 points for Embiid. Uh, in 33 minutes, at least we were able to keep his minutes down a little bit uh, tonight from where they were in the last game. Seth Curry with 23, um, but still a really close victory against the team that was down its five best players again. And you look, you can look at this two ways. You can say it's a long season, and... Okay, well, the Sixers, you know, maybe they're looking ahead a little bit. They have a back-to-back looming uh, big game tonight at Wells Fargo Center against the Utah Jazz, uh, one of the better teams out west. 
a win is a win. The Sixers did what they needed to do by sweeping Charlotte this week. Because ultimately, I mean, you look at the record book and it'll show up as the Sixers took care of business on this two-game back-to-back against the team they should beat. They beat them twice. And for that, do they deserve a level of credit? Sure, they deserve a level of, of credit for that. But you can look at it the other way as well. And this is the way I view it, is that it's concerning. That twice in a row, the Sixers needed everything they had to beat a team that if that was the team that Charlotte was rolling with all year, that's probably like a 15-win team. I mean, that is not a, a, a team that you should struggle with. And tonight, like, you had Tyrese Maxey. Aside from Ben Simmons, who you don't really count as, as part of the team anymore, you had your full complement of players. And you were barely able to get by them once again. And... As we sit here 25 games into this season, it is brutally apparent that this team has no chance, as currently constituted, to compete for a title this year. It's just not going to happen. If this is the team that the 76ers have post-trade deadline, they have no chance to make a run through the Eastern Conference playoffs. They have no chance to go to the finals. I would say absolute best-case scenario is you get back to the point where you were at last year and you get back to the point where you were at three years ago when you lost to Toronto. I mean, this is, at best, a a second-round exit team in the Eastern Conference. And it's not necessarily surprising when you look at the roster. It's kind of what it seems like. Like, a team that's going to be in the playoffs, they're probably, you know, depending on the opponent, either one and done, or they win a series and get to the second round if they have the right matchup, but they're not going any further than that at this point. And it is worrisome that they are struggling with a team like Charlotte. And, you know, this team outside of Joel Embiid is just not very good. Like, you look up and down the roster, Tobias Harris, I I hate watching him play. Like, I just can't, I can't stand watching the, you know, backing a guy down, backing a guy down, backing a guy down, then five-footer, can't even make that. Like, he has 18 points in this game. He was 7-13. to Like, I guess you look at it and you could say, oh, it's a decent night. But you watch him play, he's not making an impact on the game. Like, a guy like Danny Green, who's a veteran player, Danny Green has not been good this year. Like, he is not been very effective for the Sixers this season. You've seen Maxie tail off, even though he's still a fun player to watch. Maxie has struggled a lot recently. I mean, you look at at some of the bench. We'll get to Thibel in a little bit, who is endlessly frustrating. Like, his lack of development, his lack of improvement is really frustrating to watch. And, you know, you look at this team, they're just not very good on a lot of levels. And they are so reliant on Joel Embiid that it's it's not good for him. Like, it's not good for Joel Embiid to need to constantly be carrying a team, to need to play this kind of minutes. I, I know people hate load management, but for a guy like Embiid, he needs it. He needs it desperately. And you can't give him nights off. You can't manage his minutes on a night-to-night basis 
because they need his offense so badly that if he's not in the game, they're going to lose. Like, these last two games against Charlotte, these are games that you should be able to win without Embiid altogether. And if he didn't play in either of these games, Sixers would have lost. Like, there's no doubt about it. And that is something that is really troubling moving forward here. And at some point, they desperately need to do something. And the way Daryl Morey operates and what he said when he got the job, like 13 months ago whenever he's hired, was when he looks at how he makes decisions, how he makes roster moves, what goes into the the choices that he makes to improve his roster. It's all about maximizing the odds to win a title. That's what he believes in, is everything is done with the thought process in mind of how does this get us closer? Or how does this position, how, do, how does this help us position ourselves to get closer to winning a championship? Whether that's this year, whether it's next year, whether it's two years from now, that's what Daryl Morey believes in. That's how he operates at all times. It's about maximizing your championship odds. It's why he hasn't traded Ben Simmons yet. Because I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure Daryl Morey would prefer to just trade him and get this over with and move on and not have to deal with this on a week-to-week basis in terms of, like, is Ben possibly going to come back? Who are you going to be able to trade him for? All of the talk from the outside. Daryl Morey doesn't want to be dealing with that. I mean, I'm sure he'd rather get this, this done. But the fact of the matter is, there's nothing he can trade Ben Simmons for right now that is going to increase your odds or maximize your odds of winning a championship. Like, you trade him for D'Angelo Russell, you trade him for Karis LeVert, some of the other packages that are out there. That, I think, long-term is actually decreasing your odds of winning a championship because you're cashing in the one thing of value that you have and you're not getting equal value in return. And therefore, down the road, you're not going to be able to flip what you get for what you eventually are going to need. And as for the job Morey has done so far, I think he's done well. Like, you look at the moves Daryl Morey has made in his time here, I think overall he has done a good job. Like, you want to hold the James Harden thing against him, I get it. Like, I personally don't. We've been through this many times. I don't think the Houston Rockets ever had any intention of trading James Harden to Philadelphia. And yeah, I do think it was kind of Maury's, um, kind of Maury was at fault for getting so involved in such a public way that he was kind of had by Houston. Like, that's where I think you can fault him more than anything. I don't fault him for not getting the deal done because I don't think there was really a deal that Houston ever wanted to make with the Sixers. But when it gets so public and it gets so, you know, widely reported that the Sixers are doing everything they can to get James Harden and that Ben Simmons could be on the move, that's something that does affect you. And that's something that has affected this organization, obviously, with Ben Simmons. And it's become one of the things that he has utilized in terms of an excuse to want out of Philadelphia that he was very upset with the James Harden trade rumors, whether you believe that's true or not. Um, That's what he says. And 
even though Daryl Moore wasn't able to get that deal done, I don't really fault him for that. And other than that, I think he's made good moves. He's made moves that have improved this team since coming in. I mean, his first real night on the job, per se, was that 2020 draft. I mean, you get Tyrese Maxey in the early 20s. You flip um, Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, which has turned out to be a tremendous trade. You get out of the Al Horford contract and get Danny Green in return, which, you know, I'm not nuts about Danny Green, but he's certainly better than Al Horford is for this team. Certainly fits better with the 76ers than Al Horford did, and you had to get out of that contract. So, you know, I think Maury's done a nice job with these smaller moves. You can look at last year at the trade deadline and say, well, you could have gotten Kyle Lowry. I don't think that would have sent this team to a championship. After seeing the playoffs play out, I think what happened in the postseason with Ben Simmons was inevitable. I think what happened with the core of this team in the playoffs was inevitable. And overall, I think Maury has done a decent job. But let's face it, he's not here to make those kind of moves. He's here to make the big moves. And when Daryl Morey was hired, when when um, Josh Harris brought in Daryl Morey to run this organization, it was it was to make a franchise-changing move. And it was to, at, at some point, do something that would get this team over the hump. And I don't think this is how they intended it to be. I think the way they initially intended it was build around Joel Embiid, build around Ben Simmons, put those guys in best positions to win. Now, obviously, that plan is is not going to is not going to be followed. Ben Simmons is not going to be here long term. He's going to need to be traded at some point, and you're going to need to maximize the level of player you can get in return for that kind of a deal. And they need to pull off a big move, and they need to do it this season. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Because this is an organization that continues to fail their best player. They continue to fail Joel Embiid. And just this week, even though it's a two-game snapshot of a season, to me, it perfectly illustrates the issues that this team has. When you're facing this kind of, of of subpar opponent and you need to be so reliant on your best player, it's not a formula for success. He needs help. One guy in the NBA these days, it's not enough. It's just not enough to carry you to a championship, especially when you don't have even a semblance of a second star on this team. And... It's it, it's something that Daryl Morey needs to correct at some point in the near future. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. Because it, it's kind of hard to watch right now. Like, it's it, as Rob and I were just talking about during the crossover, in recent years, like, I've had fun watching the Sixers. Last year, I enjoyed watching them play every night. The year they had Jimmy Butler, like, I enjoyed watching that team play on a night-to-night basis. I don't enjoy watching this team play. I don't think it's fun watching, you know, the 76ers. And as great as Joel Embiid is, and as much as it's fun to see him dominate, I've seen enough of these games where Joel Embiid carries you over the finish line. You know, I've seen enough of this 
kind of game play out where I don't want to watch that anymore. Like, I don't want to watch a team that is so overly reliant on their best player that gets no help, that constantly has to do it on his own. And I am worried, in a way, that we're headed back to, like, the pre-process years if Daryl Morey can't figure this out. Because the whole idea of the process, not to get into this whole debate again, was so you weren't a team that was mired in mediocrity. That you were a team that could go into seasons at some point with a legitimate chance to win a championship. That you're one of those five, six, seven teams that goes into the playoffs and you have a legitimate shot to win a title. And the Sixers aren't that right now. And right now, when you look at where they are, it's kind of similar like to where they were before. And obviously before, they didn't have a guy like Joel Embiid. But this is still a team that maxes out in the second round of the playoffs. It's still a team that if they get a bad matchup in the first round, they're going to be one and done. And if Maury can't figure this out, it's all going to be wasted. And it's it's not a situation that Maury, you know, created, certainly. I mean, he took over a roster that was capped out. He took over a team that had very little left in terms of assets. But when he was hired, it was with the, the thought that he could be the guy that could fix it. That he could be the guy to maximize what they have and figure out a way to get another star here. And he's got to do it or else this whole process is going to be for naught. Like, I'm not ready to totally give up yet, but when I watch these games, and especially these last two, I watch what happened Monday, I watch what happened Wednesday, it does not inspire faith moving forward. And if this team comes out of the trade deadline with anywhere near this as being the roster, they're not going anywhere come playoff time. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. But I want to get your thoughts. As we head deeper into this season, because we're at 25-game mark now. They're 14-11. and uh, Daryl Morey needs to figure something out. And it doesn't need to be like tomorrow. It doesn't need to be next week. But it needs to be by the trade deadline. Because if you don't figure it out by the trade deadline, you waste another year. And this is another year of Joel Embiid's prime that you can just flush down the toilet. And we don't know how long his prime is going to be. We understand that with the nature of his health, the nature of his body, his career, you know, could be shorter and probably will be shorter than most star players in this league. So I want to know whether you believe Daryl Morey is going to be able to figure this out at some point uh, because this core isn't getting it done. Wait a minute. What do you mean by flush Joel Embiid's uh, another year of his career down the toilet. Like he is playing, and he is like he is playing well. Yeah, right. But but you're not you're not competing for championships. And if you're well, not competing the, for championships, you're not making the most out of a star player's career. So you wouldn't say that they've done that before. I wouldn't say they're doing it right now. Well, okay. I wouldn't say they're doing it right now. Okay. I mean, I would say last year. I mean, and it's obviously it's a revisionist history. But looking back now. I don't think they were a legitimate contender last year. Like, like I don't think they could have. They could have hung with the Bucks. I, I think it was always kind of doomed to failure. 
with with the core that they had in place. And regardless of whether they competed in the past, and I guess you can say, I think the team that had the best chance to win the championship was that 2019 team, the one with Butler and Harris and, you know, that kind of big three, especially when you look around the landscape of the league, uh, the fact that the Warriors were banged up, they were kind of running on fumes. You had a young Bucks team that I think would have been much easier to beat that year than they would have been to beat last year. That was probably their best chance. But right now, like, you have Joel Embiid in his prime. And would you say, Mike, at this point, that anything near this roster, if you exit the trade deadline with this kind of core, would you give them any chance to win the title this year? No, but they would still compete for it. Like, I I, I guess I don't understand the waste. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, sit them and put them on ice? No, I think you you need to find a way to get uh, another guy in here that's going to help him. Like, you need to find a way to get somebody in here who's going to help him. And right now, you don't have that. And I think the longer you go, every year you go, without finding somebody, without getting somebody who is going to help maximize this team's championship odds, yeah, I look at it as a wasted season. I think that's what it's about. And uh, if you aren't competing for championships... You know, what are we really doing here? 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. When we get back, uh, we will get to some news. There is some more. There's a lot of rumblings coming out of Portland right now. And I think this is going to be important to monitor moving forward in regards to Damian Lillard. So we'll get into that. Um, I see Gus is on the line. We'll talk to Gus. And if you want to get in, you want to get in on the Sixers. Talk about the Eagles quarterback situation, flyers, whatever you want to get into, you're welcome to tonight. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Wednesday night into a Thursday morning. Uh, my last overnight shift of the week. I'll be back in, though, tomorrow from like midnight to 2 a.m. Midnight's about when I've been getting on on these Thursday night shifts following uh, Thursday night football. An interesting game uh, later on tonight, by the way, as the Vikings host the Steelers. And, I mean, if the Vikings lose this game, they're pretty much out of this thing. I mean, you fall to 5-8, and eight, I guess, well, I guess in the NFC – you would still be in it. I mean, it would be pretty hard for any team to really eliminate themselves at this point. Um, but a big game for both these teams. It's kind of crazy the Steelers are 5-5-1 five, five, and one because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like they've lost a lot of games this year, yet somehow they're at 500. Doesn't, I thought they have six wins. Do they have six? Are they 6-5-1? and one? You might be right about that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It just it feels like they've had their buy. Right. It's so weird though. It just feels like they have like law like they're having this horrible year. And then you look at the standings and it's like, oh well, it's very possible they're gonna be a playoff team. Uh they're right in the mix and are having a, a, a decent season win loss wise. So uh should be an entertaining game later on tonight. I did have a caller drop off during the break, which if you're still listening out there, please call back. Uh because he was a Flyers fan who I believe uh, is this right, Mike? Was encouraging his wife, or was it the other way around? No, well, yeah, he wanted his wife to drop the tickets. He wanted his wife to let go of their Flyers tickets. And this is, I mean, this is rare uh, for Flyers fans to be jumping ship. Flyers fans are, I would say... But they're not, though. That's the problem. What them. do you mean? She's hanging on. That's his, his oh, right. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, that that's not surprising. I mean, I'm at least happy that these conversations are being had in, like, Flyers fan households because, and this is something I'll get into later on, because for all the criticism that, like, the Eagles take for, oh, how much they don't care about their fan base, they don't, you know, they they, they don't care about winning. It's like, look at an organization like the Flyers, who have the most loyal fan base in the city, they, feed, they, they treat their fans like trash. I mean, they really do. How? Because they don't do. They, they don't care about winning. Like they are. The the Flyers are that's content. Not treat, that's not treating fans like trash, though. Oh, I think it is. How? It's like if you really care about your fans, you do what you need to do to win. No, it's not like they're saying like, "Hey, every year we're gonna, we're gonna win the." Cup. It's not like they're selling a false thing. They're saying like, "Hey, here we are. We're gonna you know, you know, we're gonna try and bring it to broad, and here's gritty and." Try and be tough. Here's G. You know, have fun. Enjoy. But, the, exa- but exactly. It's like you're not really trying to win, But that's win, not though. treating them like... Tr- they they, they want to do enough. They want to win enough to get people coming back to the building. Like, that is what... Yeah. Uh, that That's what the Flyers' goal is. But isn't that anyone in, entertain- in entertainment? It, it, it shouldn't be. And, like, that's part of my thing. Like, I think part of what makes the Eagles a good organization, and some people, a lot of people disagree with this, is they don't care, like, what the out, outer perception is like people can scream about, you know, they need to fire Howie Roseman as much as they want. If Jeffrey Lurie doesn't think firing Howie Roseman is the best thing for the organization, they're not going to do it. And you look at organizations like the Phillies and the Flyers, uh, they do care too much about that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I think ultimately I would rather the organization do what they feel is best to win. Like the Flyers, have never really been serious about doing the things necessary to become a contender. 
And I, I, I don't think that's doing right by your well, fans. They have before. It, it, what like, over what you, a decade like, what ago? By, what do you mean by never? Like, I mean like over the last ten years. Like they have not done any of the things that are necessary um, to rebuild because they want to get keep people to keep coming back to the Wells Fargo Center. I think the last five years, whatever it is, you can make that case. But the previous five, like they they were trying, they just botched it. Like they botched the Brzezgalov thing and. You know, the, the, they didn't get enough for Carter and Richards and the whole thing. Whatever. It's the whole thing. I don't know. I, I just, whatever. I, it, it, when I go to a game and I watch them and whatever, like, I don't think they treat it, treat me like, you know, crap. Yeah, but, like, uh, and I guess I view it maybe differently, but I, I, I would think Flyers fans want to w- win a championship, right? Like, yeah, that. That's, that's what I would think you'd want to do. But, like, you get into, like, this rebuild where you're kind of doing the right things. Like Ron Hextall, from what all I hear, and I, you know, I don't know hockey talent as well as most people do, but it seemed like they were establishing a nice core, but you know, they scrap it. They scrap it too early because they're impatient. And it's the same thing as the Phillies did. You know, you're in the midst of a rebuild. You're doing what you know is the right thing for your organization. But then you have this short-term approach rather than a long-term approach. And uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe treating the fans like trash is not a great way to put it, but not doing what you really need to do to make yourself a contender, I, I think made, is a major they, they flaw. They made poor choices. Like it's, they just made poor roster choices. But I think it goes deeper than that, though. Like, that that's where I differ in opinion. Like, I don't think they really care as much about winning. If they did, they would have stuck with the rebuild, and, you know, you would have taken your lumps in the media, you would have taken your lumps for a couple of years, but you ultimately would have done what's right for your organization. But they're content, like, going to the playoffs and being in the first and second round and being out as long as it's selling tickets. Or at least that's the way I view it. Uh, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. But starting off talking about the Sixers here and how I think they are really wasting Joel Embiid's career. And, you know, I understand that Daryl Morey is not in an easy position right now. He's not in a in a position that, you know, is enviable as far as improving this team. But you got to find some sort of way out of the position you're in. Because sure, you have Joel Embiid. And yeah, it's great watching Joel Embiid, you know, dominate and play the way he plays. He's, you know, if not the best player, you know, the Sixers have had in the last 20 years, maybe even longer than that. But you have a roster around him right now that does not maximize his skill sets, does not help him really at all, where every single night, including against depleted Charlotte Hornets teams two nights in a row, where Joel Embiid has to carry you to the finish line. And as long as you continue down this path, you're not competing for anything legitimate and if you get out of the trade deadline and you have not made a significant move to improve this roster it's another wasted year like it's a wasted year of Joel Embiid's career where you're going into the postseason and you have zero chance to win a championship that's what this is about that's what the process was supposed to be about was giving you a legitimate chance to win championships it's what this team did not have it's why they were you know, an irrelevant organization nationally. It's why nobody cared about them from 2005 to 2012. 
I mean, it was a very uninspiring organization. And now you find yourself, while you have Joel Embiid, in a very similar situation where you're a playoff team, but, you know, your high upside mark with this roster is maybe you get to the second round. And if if that's what you're willing to accept, you know, the process was for nothing. And then it does mean that you wasted all of that time. And I don't know how Daryl Morey's going to do it, but he's got to find a way. He's got to find a way to dramatically improve this roster because what they're throwing out there right now, it's not good enough. And it gives you zero chance to win a championship. And for a GM who, who you know, everything he does is with the thought process in mind of we are going to maximize our championship odds, I'm interested to see what he does uh, to try to make that a reality in the coming months. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Gus. What's up, Gus? You know, they are a chore to watch right now, but you're you're just way, way over the top in your negativity and the sky's flung all this nonsense. Uh, they're not as unwatchable as the Eagles. They're not as unwatchable as the Phillies, and they're not as unwatchable as the Flyers. And they're the only game in town with a record over 500. Okay, well, so, but, but is that is yeah, that wait, the a, is that the goal here, Gus? Everything is relative. Everything is relative. Okay, but but Gus, right. but well, Gus, no, stop for a second. Is that is that the goal? Like no, to be the best no, team in no, town? That was my opening statement. That's not my concluding comment. Okay, all right. I'm just critiquing you know, the tone of your rhetoric tonight. Okay? okay, it's just way way over the top. All right. The advantages they have is they have much more flexibility than the other three teams in the city in terms of changing the face of their roster. And the chances that their roster will be significantly different by the time we enter the playoffs is high, relatively speaking high. Okay. Based so, on based on what? Based on trading Simmons? Well, th- yes, that's obvious. Simmons, they're going to get – they don't have Simmons, and they're going to get something for Simmons. So there's going to be an infusion of personnel. And the chances of that not happening are low. Looking at this objectively, they're low. It, they might go the whole season without getting an infusion of talent, having no Simmons deal. But as an objective person looking like from another city upon this, this city and what's happening, most people would say that's pretty low. Mm-hmm. Maury will make a trade. Well, he'll make so, a trade. There's no doubt, Gus, he'll make a trade. But, like, okay. you need to make a significant trade. Like, you, yeah, you do but, something. And, I, and aside, the other thing you said that is silly is, is that they're going down this road. They're not going down any road. They've changed. They've, they've got, they, they were going down a road, and that, that road, they've done a detour. They've, they've taken a left-hand turn. That road involved Ben Simmons. That road is over. They're not going down that road anymore. There's a new road, and what he's doing is he's pausing at the, at the intersection and waiting for things to happen in and around the league, and he's been pretty clever about it because did you know that Portland was going to fall apart like this? I didn't, but maybe he did. I actually think it was maybe, pretty predictable, maybe knows, honestly. Maybe he knows the league a little bit better than either one of us do. No, Gus, I, I, trust me. I've been a proponent. I, I know you know this if you listen to me on this. I think Murray has been doing the right thing the entire time. Like right. holding out on Simmons. How, we don't know how right it is until he does. Right, exactly. So we're all and, but but that's because right, but, animation. but Gus, that's exactly that's exactly my point. Like you can't just assume, oh well, they're going to make this franchise changing move for Simmons. We don't know what they're going to get for Simmons. No, but we do know they're going to get something. 
Yeah, but I mean, you could we're, get. We're, we're relative, but what if you get Karis Levert? Like, what does that do for we you? We have a very high percentage of probability that they will get an infusion of personnel. We don't know who those people are. But, that, but that's the thing, Gus. It all depends on who those people are. Of course. Yeah. But if you I, don't. I mean, do you ask, Do I have confidence in Maury? Basically, yes. Why? Because I think he's a good general manager. Do I think he should be in the Hall of Fame? No because he hasn't won a title yet. But do I think he's a good general manager? Yes, I'm pretty confident of that. Do I think he's smart? Yes. Do I think he knows the league? Yes. Do I think he can evaluate personnel? Yes. What do I think about Doc Rivers? I think he's basically a good coach. Is he a great coach? Well, he'll probably be in the Hall of Fame, but he's probably not a great coach. But he's certainly a good coach, okay? So these are things that are solid things that I – and ask me, like, am I looking forward to the game tomorrow night? Yeah, basically I am. I'm still curious to see what they do tomorrow night. So, I'm, you know, I'm not quite as in the doldrums as you are, all right? I, I just think that's – you're just way, way over the top in your negativity. Right. The two games that they won in Charlotte, they were a chore to watch. But the one thing I will, will say, going to Embiid the way they did made sense because that's the one team on planet Earth that can't stop Embiid. They could put four guys on them. They cannot stop him. If they tried to do that against most other teams in the league, they would lose. So they had that advantage in that – in that series, and they took advantage of that. You know, when the Eagles play and they win, it's always, well, you know, you can only play who you're playing, you know. <laughs> you know, it's always, they're always puffing up whatever little accomplishment they managed to, to achieve by beating the Jets. So, you know, I don't really see this double standard as just completely cockeyed. And the other thing is, I don't look retrospectively back on last year and say, oh, that was a wasted year. Oh, we didn't win. I didn't, that's not how I experienced that year. I was disappointed with the outcome. But if you ask me, did I enjoy watching that team during the season, whether it was an exciting season, were the games competitive, and, and did my pulse uh, you know, race while I was watching it? Yes. I, I that, must see TV most of the year last year. That's fair, Gus. And I'll tell you what I enjoy. I enjoy these little voices you're doing. You you got to really integrate that more. Your your vocal your vocal. I, I'm working on it. Okay. Rock Cherry is the guy. I, I is my right. guinea pig. I, right. I, I start with him and then I work my way up. All right, thanks, Gus. I appreciate it. Thanks <laughs> thanks for the call. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair level headed approach. Like that that is a fair level headed approach from Gus. And yeah, I enjoyed watching the team last year, but ultimately, like the playoffs just. I think we're illuminating on so many levels. Like it changed. I think the, the outlook of everything, like you started to realize like, yeah, the regular season was fun, but for that team, it could only happen in the regular season. Like they were built to win in the regular season. They were built to win a lot of games in the, in the regular season. Ben Simmons is a very effective regular season player, but the postseason, I think the postseason failures were always going to be doomed to happen because of, of his and this team's shortcomings. I don't know. You replay the year 2021 a hundred times. I'm not sure that, you know, every time the, the thing with Ben's sister happens again. Like, no. that, that's a one in a million times that happens. Yeah, but I mean, I, I also, and who knows, I don't think that is like the sole reason why that season went off the rails. Now, I, I think it, it's why he was worse than ever before. Like that was the worst moment of or worst, you know, play of his career. Maybe. But like Mike, we've worked together for a long time. We've talked about Ben Simmons for a long time. And I always, you know, and we disagree on Simmons now, but leading up to that playoff run and last season, I've been ver- I was very consistent in what I said about Ben Simmons. I was a big fan of his. 
I was a big fan of his game and the things that he did. I never thought that he needed to necessarily be a jump shooter within the flow of the game. But the free throw thing is not something that just, like, popped up. Like, I've always said in regards to Simmons, if he gets the playoffs and he doesn't figure out the free throw thing, this is going to cost this team. And it's exactly what ended up happening. Like, that was very predictable looking back based on his struggles to that point. Like, he's never been a consistent free throw shooter. I don't agree. It was worse than ever. He never went over. He started the postseason going, like, either – 0 for 6 or 0 for 8. He never was that bad. He was yeah, he was 60%, 65%, 50% sometimes even bad, like you know, bad, really bad. Bottom bottom 5 in the NBA bad, but he wasn't like he wasn't 0 for you know, 0 for 6 or 4 for 14. Like he wasn't that bad. Like this was worse. Right, but I think this mental block you could always see coming because in the regular season, this is why he's effective more effective in the regular season. In the regular season, teams aren't, you know, hell-bent on winning in a way where they're going to start fouling Ben Simmons in the third quarter. No, they've done that before. But not to this extent. I mean, not that where it's every game and he knows it's coming. And it was like, unless he could have started making those free throws consistently, it was always going to be an issue. And I, 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 I think it will be an issue for him. I think on a different team that isn't as reliant on his offense, and you can look at that and say part of that's roster construction because the Sixers, for that team to be uh, to be productive, they need Ben Simmons to attack. They needed him to attack the basket. It was They didn't lose that series because Ben Simmons wasn't shooting jump shots. They lost that series, or in part lost that series, because Ben Simmons stopped being aggressive because he couldn't make free throws. It's always gone back to the free, free throws with him, and that's not that's not something that just popped up in the postseason last year. Like, sure, it was worse in the postseason than it's ever been, but I think it was always headed to that point because he never truly fixed it. But if you get the previous two postseason versions of Ben instead of the one that was spooked out there, the, the team's fine. Then the, the team's, you know, they're going to Milwaukee for like a game seven maybe. But they've never been that reliant on him. Like, the the past two postseasons, the earlier two postseasons you're talking about, in 2020, he didn't play in the postseason. No, I'm talking about his two, like his 18 and 19. Well, 18, it did cost them. Like, 18, his offensive weaknesses did cost them. I wouldn't say that. You don't think Boston played them in a way that exposed Simmons' weaknesses in that series? No, I just think they were an inferior team. Like, they were... Because when you talk about, like, how much they rely on him, like, that team had to rely on him more because he was... Like, you know, Reddick and Rocco and all those guys were role players. This team, you know, Ben wasn't drawn up to be the second best player like the way he was on those teams. Right, but even but that's, again, like why his offensive shortcomings didn't really hurt you in 19 that much. It's because he had Jimmy Butler. Like, Ben Simmons wasn't, his offense wasn't as necessary on that 2019 team. Like, his offense was necessary last year, and when you're not getting him being aggressive, uh, you're going to have issues offensively. So uh, you look at it, and, and I don't think Ben Simmons is a bad player, but I do think those weaknesses for a team that relies on his offense will cost you in the playoffs. Uh, it's just different in the regular season than it is in the postseason. Uh, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, uh, I see Chris is on the line. We'll get to Chris when we get back. I also have a social media gripe for you. But – you know, your level of confidence that Daryl Morey is going to be able to pull off some sort of move of consequence this year. Because 
I think like I'm not, and I'm not saying it needs to happen tomorrow or next week. Like I don't agree with the idea that you need to trade Ben Simmons now. But by the trade deadline, you need to bring in somebody to this roster that will legitimately take pressure off Joel Embiid, not just for this year, but for years to come. I mean, this is wear and tear that you know you gotta you gotta preserve this guy in some way and. Uh, there's just too much being put on him right now. There's way too much being put on him, and this roster, as currently put together, has zero chance to win a championship. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Wednesday night into a Thursday morning. 215-592-9494. Talking six or so far. So they play two against Charlotte this week. And now, you know, more compressed games here. Three games in four nights. They're at home against Utah tonight. Remember, and I remember this uh, game specifically because I was watching it last year in the hospital. It was the night after my son had been born uh, when the Jazz were playing at the Sixers and Embiid hit that step back three. Did that force the game into overtime or did that win the game? I remember watching the hospital. I had very little sleep. I was very delirious, but it was a very exciting game. No, they were down three. They needed that to tie. And then they won it in OT. Yes. Was that a Toby game winner night? Maybe I'm wrong about that. No, I thought they won kind of easily once they got to overtime. Because remember, uh, in unison, um, Simmons and Embiid pointed for Mitchell to get uh, ejected oh. and teed up. Oh, that's rough. Man, those are the good old days. Back when Embiid and, and Simmons were on speaking terms. Um, were they, though? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think they were cordial. Like, I remember at the end of Game 3 of the Hawks series, they both got taken out at the same time. Like, they, you know, gave a high five to each other as, like, a job well done, and that was... You know, that was pretty much it, unfortunately. Um, but uh, they take on the Jazz tonight uh, in a rematch uh, from that game last year. And then Saturday night, uh, chance to witness history as the Sixers host the Golden State Warriors. Now, Mike, you were watching this game. You, we were watching the end of it, the Portland-Golden State game, and you were rooting for Steph uh, to, to knock down some threes so you could maybe witness yeah. him break uh, – Ray Allen's record on Saturday night. So uh, he hits six. So what does he need? He needs 10, I believe now. Nine to tie, 10 to break. Yeah. Nine to tie, 10 to break. I don't love your chances, nah, but I don't think it's... who knows? I mean, he could get hot. I'm sure, you know, he's going against Seth. So, uh, you know, he might want to show the show his brother up. Dell will probably be in the building. He will be. He will sh- be. Is Dell like doing like following Steph around right now. I'm imagining he has to be. So the uh whatever the new version of the jump uh said that he will be with They had to rebrand. Yeah, I I, I don't know if does Rachel Nichols own the rights to that. Yeah, that I don't word? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh but anyway, yes, they they reported that he will be following him there Indiana, New York, that little stretch of uh this chunk of games. Hmm. All right. Well, hopefully yeah. Hopefully Steph can can break the record. Uh, Saturday night. I'll be ro- I'll, I'll be rooting Steph. for you. I, I want to say it. I love Steph. Well, Steph remember last year when they played here? He how many threes he hit in that game? Oh my god! He yeah. killed the Sixers that night. What else happened that night? Was across the street. What? Yeah. What happened that night? Gabe out managed Girardi. Oh, that was that John. That wasn't the night where Brogdon uh, got dismantled, right? No, that was that was uh, take two of that. Okay. Yeah, I remember one night Brogdon was a disaster coming out of the pen. They blew a game. Gave up six runs. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I remember that one. Okay, uh, so they they were both both two France San Francisco Philadelphia matchups that night. I did sure. not remember that, but uh, thank you for reminding me. I'll be flipping back between that and it's a it's a it's a UFC pay per view event Saturday <laughs> night. So I'm having a couple a uh, couple of the boys over. So we'll be watching that. We'll be flipping. Oh, you flipping back you're a UFC forth. crew. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, a couple friends, you okay. know, that follow it. We, it's fun. You come over, you know, you bet on the fights. It, it, honestly, without you know the gambling aspect, I would not really be be as into it. It's fun sport to fun oh, sport to place bets on, though. Isn't there another fight we're keeping an eye on? What 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 fight? Uh, I thought there was another fight. Somebody we may know uh, over the weekend. Oh yeah, our boy uh, Jeff. 
He's in action on Friday night for the <laughs> Barstool Friday. event. Barstool Friday. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah um, we'll see how he does. I think he's in the main event, uh, you know, on Barstool's they do these fight nights i think in like west virginia or something oh yeah so good luck luck to jeff man i hope he hope, yeah. hope he does well hope he uh you know knocks this guy he's fighting some guy named jersey jerry oh come on you so can't let a guy from jersey yes yeah, we're pulling, pulling for jeff anyway but especially yeah. now come on jeff get 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 the job done for us i wonder if you can bet on that i, I guess on the barstool <laughs> app maybe you can <laughs> yeah i don't either but uh yeah well good luck good luck to our guy jeff hopefully uh comes back victorious uh 215-592-9494 if you want to get in let's go to chris in deptford what's up chris uh yeah i was gonna start off with sixers but we're talking jeff the zoo on jersey jerry friday <laughs> night next week <laughs> are you familiar with this chris yeah i'm like a okay. barstool fan like oh, okay they're, uh they're both both of them they're two crazy guys like i don't know if you guys ever seen rough and rowdy I have seen the highlights. I've never seen the actual event, but Chris Jeff was a caller uh, to our station, like going back, you know, ten years. So, uh, we, we, you know, we've developed a relationship with Jeff, and I, you know, I hope he comes back victorious. <laughs> yeah, they're like uh, three. Uh, they're three rounds, one minute rounds, no headgear, and they're just swinging on each other. I think there's like 20 fights in West Virginia. It's crazy. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited to see yeah, uh, what so ends up happening. Like, if you're into UFC, boxing, like it's worth whatever you're going into, especially <laughs> on a Friday night or something. Right. Like you know, like UFC's not popping off Friday night. Right. Well, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll consider buying it then just to see Jeff fight. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, get into the Sixers. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah, like the last two nights with with Joel, it's it. it we're, I mean, I feel like everyone is just going under what he's he he's so good. It, I mean, what else is there to say? He's so he's so good with nobody with no guard here. I like I don't I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is. It James? Is it CJ? Like people are saying, just trade Ben for whatever. Like, are you trading Ben? Ben's making thirty million. You're trading Ben for three guys who make ten million dollars. I don't know. Right, and that's the thing, Chris. And this is where I just don't, I don't agree with with the the idea of just give Ben away for nothing. Like Ben has Ben has flaws, but like if you watch the Sixers this year, like they clearly do miss him. Like they miss him defensively. They miss him on the fast break. And I'm watching a moment in this game where. And Bede's, like, leading the break, and it's just like, this isn't what he should have to do. Like, that should be Ben Simmons in that situation, uh, you know, creating points for the team. Oh, 100%. I've seen a lot, maybe in the last, like, week or two, uh, Joel's grabbing the board, and he's bringing the ball up, and he's not even giving the ball up. He's just going coast to coast, and it's not even in a matter where, like, can you blame him what he's doing? But it's the same factor. It's like, I don't want – I don't want him doing that too at the same point. Right. Right. Yeah, because I mean that that's the kind of thing where, you know, he's leading the break. He could he could get hurt in that kind of situation. You know how out of control he is sometimes. And yeah, I, I it just looks it just looks awkward, you know? Yeah, whole thing looks awkward. Like he's grabbing a board. It looks like he's ready to pass it too every time he grabs it. And even the last like the last two nights in Charlotte, like the way he's been playing the last two nights in Charlotte, you just 
wish he was playing that way every night. I think he's, in the last two games, I think he's attempted four threes maybe. Like, he's turning down the three also. It's not like he's not open. He just knows, like, oh, I got this smart guy on me. I'm going right at it. And they're complaining, like, the, like, the other team's, like, complaining, like, oh, that's not a foul. That's not- no, he's so much bigger than you. That is a foul. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, Chris, and I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you look at uh, you look at Embiid, and there's just so much that he has to do, and that's kind of the even more than like end of game situations. Uh, those situations are the ones that really make it so evident when he's like having to lead a break and uh, you know go coast to coast. It's like, you know, that's the kind of situation where Joel Embiid should be able to manage his energy. Like, he shouldn't have to, like, run the floor in these kind of situations. He should have guys to outlet it to where other guys can lead the break. And you can you can get points that way. And it's just a, a, a situation where he there's nothing around him to help. There There aren't guys around him to make his job easier. And Maury's got to fi- figure out some way to 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 make a deal here, you know, whether it's Simmons and it, Simmons, I do think would be the key to getting a legitimate, you know, number two uh, or one B back because, you know, he is the best asset that you have. I mean, I know Bobby Marks brought over, brought up over the weekend. Oh, well, you know, Portland, they could ask for Tobias Harris and picks. And it's like, I I don't know why anybody would want Tobias Harris or would want to give up anything of legitimate value for Tobias Harris. I mean, if I'm a team like Portland and I'm looking to rebuild, I'd much rather have Ben Simmons than Tobias Harris. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Oh, we can't we can't wager on this fight. You just typed that up on the board. That's very disappointing. No, it doesn't it's not a there are certain amateur things you can, okay. but you got to go through hoops with like colleges, universities, more official stuff like that. Okay. This doesn't meet the criteria. Damn it. I, I, I would have liked to have a rooting interest uh, on Jeff's fight on, on, on Friday night, but we're still wishing him luck uh, nonetheless. So hopefully uh, Jeff can win, win, that, win that fight on Friday. 215-592-9495. I forgot to do my gripe. We'll do that when we get back as well. Uh, that's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Thursday morning, 215-592-9494. If you want to get in tonight, talking a lot of Sixers in the first hour. Uh, we'll continue getting the Sixers uh, a little later on this hour as well. we got to do our uh, our head-to-head picks. I guess we'll do those tonight, though, because we're working together for a couple hours tonight from 12 to 2. So Mike and I will uh, go head-to-head again because uh, we tied last week. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to pick those. But we can, uh, we can get started at the end of the show. We'll pick the Thursday night game and see if we okay. fall on the same side of that. Okay. Um, I already but, tipped my hand to you, so – I I, for, I, honestly, I already forget what you said. Um, so I, I I oh no no never mind I remember. I, for a minute I forgot because like, you, you definitely remember what you replied. Yes, I now I remember. Uh, you know I'm 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 narcissistic, so I remember my uh, int- contribution, but I, I I had forgot which side that you took. Um, but uh, talking a lot of Sixers in the first hour, we'll get back to that as well. I do want to get a little more into the Flyers is. You know, it's 10-game losing streak at this point. I mean, really embarrassing. And again, they get shut out 3-0 by the Devils on uh, Wednesday night. And it's just, you know, not... (laughs) Say the Sixers aren't fun to watch. Flyers are really not fun to watch. And the Devils aren't even a good team. I mean... Uh, at least lately, you can kind of explain. What's that? They're pretty good, I think, lately. No, they're. I mean, I'm just looking at the standings now. They're only five points ahead of the Flyers. I mean, seems like they've been playing well, but yeah, uh, you honestly, you'd know better than me. But judging by the standings, they don't look like they're doing that well. They're they're ten nine and five, so not you know awful. They're about a five hundred ish team, um, but uh, it it is really falling apart for the Flyers right now. We'll get more into that in a minute here. But I did want to give him my social media gripe today, as I forgot to do that in the last segment. And this one, I don't know if you'll uh, recognize this one, Mike. It's a little more, uh, I guess, obscure, a little more new. But when people will say, like, they're manifesting something. Like, manifesting getting... You know, uh, more money manifesting getting a raise for my boss in 2021 or something like that. So they're dreaming, they're wishing. Yeah, and it's something they're speaking into existence. Just something I've seen. It's sometimes if they're really uh, taking it to the next level, they'll do it with like a circle of candles around it. I guess as if it's some sort of like um, witchcraft ritual or something yeah. to manifest something into existence. Uh, like I just. I just searched manifesting a few minutes ago and one was like, (laughs) this was a a weird one. It was, um, uh, manifested, you successfully manifested Boomer Esiason onto the Madden cover or something like that. I guess they released like a, a legends cover that had Boomer on there. I don't know who would ever dream of that. I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, I just saw it. So, uh, the ma- when people say they're manifesting something, that is a uh, that's something that uh, that has bothered me of late a little bit. So I'm manifesting Tobias Harris for Brad Beal. There you go. That you, that's exactly right, Mike. You you picked up picked up on it very quickly, and that would be a appreciate. It. And I'll I'll join you in manifesting that. Um, by the way, did you see Brad Beal said he's not signed an extension? That's good news. Ooh. Um, he said he's not signing an extension. Um, and it, let me see the exact uh, wording of it here. 
Um, Bradley Beal said he's not ready to sign a long-term extension yet. Uh, quote, I'm not going to make that grand commitment and it not work. You have to be selfish at some point. So, hmm. you know, things starting to take shape. And, like, this is exactly this is exactly why, and I know people are frustrated with Ben Simmons, but it, the idea, like, you know, two days into the season when he gets kicked out of practice, I thought this was, like, the dumbest overreactionary take is like, well, you got to trade him now. Like you got to get rid of him right now. Why? Like what, what, what's the harm in waiting? They, yeah, they absolutely had to remove him from that gym though. Oh, definitely. That was, that was, that was hilarious that they even thought that was going to like work. Yeah, no. The, the, yeah. I did a quick one eighty on that where I argued with Al the day before about like, Oh, well you can reintegrate him, And then he gets kicked out of practice. And I came around on that. I'm like, okay, you got to remove him. Like, you got to, you know, separate him from the team, send him home, bring him in off hours, whatever. But, like, the idea that you had to, like, trade him then and cash in his value was just stupid. Like, that's exactly what, like, he was trying to accomplish. He's still their brother, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he, 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 that, that, I wonder if Joel feels the same way. Well, he said, uh, that, he, he did he said that. that to you. He did. He said it to you, too. He said yeah. it to everybody yeah. that night at the Nets game. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't heard anything uh, like that since. There really, there's been a lot of silence around the Simmons situation lately, which is good for the Sixers, honestly. I mean, the less rumblings we get, the better it is. And I think, like, this is a situation where Simmons and his camp, I think, finally realized that Daryl Morey's, like, not going to be bullied into trading him. <laughs> like, that's obviously one thing they were trying to do with all the leaks is, like, they were trying to force Morey's hand. And once Morey came out publicly and said, you know, I can take this, I can take this out for four years. And obviously, right. And obviously he was exaggerating when he said that. But I think that finally got it through to Ben and Rich Paul that, okay, well, if we really want to get traded – Maybe constantly leaking stuff is not the best way to go about it. Like, and I think Maury is probably telling that them that behind closed doors is like, we're trying to trade you, but like, you guys coming out and making this messy makes it no easier for us to find a deal. Like, this is going to take a little bit. We gotta wait uh, until the league starts to take shape, and you're seeing it. I mean, you're seeing things start to progress around the league, and this is what what it is like in this league where it moves in cycles, you know, like the off season is one cycle for trades to happen. Once you get into training camp, very rarely or, or toward the end of training camp into the regular season, very rarely are they like big trades that happen in the first six, seven weeks. You'll wait until around Christmas. And then there's another cycle. Teams kind of know what they are, decide what role, what, what, you know, what way they want to proceed. Uh, then the trade deadline is another cycle. So uh, the Sixers really had no move to make at that point. Um, and I think right now this is kind of uh, the best way to proceed is you keep looking for deals, you keep Simmons away from the team, his side stays quiet, you stay quiet on your end, you don't have players trashing him, you don't have the organization coming out and trashing Simmons or Clutch or anything like that. And I think that's honestly for both sides the best way to ultimately come to uh, the solution that everybody wants, which is a trade that gets him somewhere else and gets the Sixers maximum value in return. 
215-592-9494 if you want to get in. But I did want to, you know, real quick, just talk about the Flyers again, as we mentioned a little earlier. But they lose 10 in a row now. And, you know, as I look at this organization, I see I see a broken organization at this point. And, like, I never like to blame a fan base for an organization's failures. And, and Flyers fans aren't to blame, necessarily. Like, I'm not saying by any means are Flyers fans to blame for the failures of an organization. But for some reason in this city, they are, that organization is not held to the same standard as other organizations in the city, as far as I see it. Like, you look at the other teams in this town, uh, you know, whether it's the Phillies, the Sixers, the Eagles, uh, a lot of criticism is brought on them. When things go wrong. Now, part of it is because those other sports are more popular. I think it would be naive at this point to think otherwise. Hockey is, you know, declined in popularity over the last 20 to 25 years. I don't even think that's that's really debatable. But there are a lot of hardcore hockey fans and a lot of hardcore Flyers fans in this city. But, like, Flyers fans, where they are at fault is they continue to fall for like the same things. Like, you know, things are going bad. Bring in the bullies. You know, let's have another, let's have another Broad Street bully night. Uh, Let's honor the greats from the seventies again. You know, the team is awful and you have people on social media, uh, not to mention any names here, uh, complaining about why they're not pushing back the start time of a ceremony to honor one of the Watson brothers and Holmgren. Like, and this, like, are these really the issues that the Flyers should be concerned with? Is how are we going to set this up to honor Holmgren and Watson on this night? You know, I, I, I think there are bigger issues. There are bigger issues to worry about than that. Just, just my thoughts on it. Yeah. I wish we could have got an answer on that last night. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But, um, you know, like, this is why I don't understand with the, what I don't understand with this organization. And I don't get how they continue to sell, like, bad to mediocre, mediocre play. And this team, let's face it, they've been mediocre for a long time now. Like, 15 years, essentially. They make that run in 2010. That was a pretty fluky run, in all honesty. I mean, that was a team that got into the playoffs on the last day of the season, were able to get some advantageous matchups. I mean, remember, by, you know, fluky luck in the Eastern Conference Finals, the seventh seed, they had home ice advantage because they were playing the eighth seed that year because Montreal made their own kind of Cinderella run through the Eastern Conference playoffs. But this has not been a well-run organization over the course of the last decade plus. And I mentioned it before, but for all the crap the Eagles take, I, I mean, and I I don't really understand it, honestly, because the Eagles get chastised in this city like they are one of the worst-run organizations in sports. And I just don't understand it. Like, Oh, smartest guys in the room, all that nonsense, and it's well, stupid. That's easy. You're, you're saying in comparison to the Flyers? Yeah. There are more obtuse Eagles fans than there are obtuse Flyers fans. And maybe that's it. Maybe that is, like, the entirety of it. But, like, I think, like, the hardcore Flyers fans 
would hold the team to a higher standard. And, and they they don't. Like, they seem to be pretty content with, you know, if you get in the playoffs, like, we'll come back and we'll enjoy it. And, and maybe that that's all Flyers fans really, really care about. But, like, you look at, like, the Eagles and, and – what ownership and ultimately it's not about the fans it's about ownership and like when you look at Jeffrey Lurie and all the crap he takes and I'm not telling you Jeffrey Lurie's been perfect I have my own issues with him that I want to get into a little later on as well and I think he has done some things wrong obviously over the last couple years but like Jeffrey Lurie deep down I believe wants to win like I don't think I I I don't think he wants to win his way. I don't think he wants to win, you know, just by passing the ball. This passing the ball thing has been, like, the most overrated thing ever. Just because of one meeting they had with Doug Peterson over two years ago, people think that Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie are, like, incensed every time that Nick Sirianni runs the ball. Like, Jeffrey Lurie gets flashed up on the screen for 10 seconds during the Saints game, and he doesn't you know, have a smile on his face and people immediately jump to the conclusion, oh, look how miserable Lori is. They're running the ball 40 times a game. He hates that. He hates this team putting up 40 points on the ground. I don't think they really care about that. The, uh, Jeffrey Lori, I truly believe, and, and not that he always makes the right decisions based on this, but I believe he wants to win. Like, and I think if he believed that firing Howie Roseman was like the best thing for the Eagles and was something that would put the Eagles in a better situation moving forward to win, I believe that he'd do it. I mean, he did it to Joe Banner. Joe Banner was a good friend of his entire life. I certainly think he likes Howie. I think he would prefer to keep Howie. But if Lurie needed to make that decision, I think he would make it. Like, as an organization, I believe they, more than any in the city, just want to do what's best and just want to win. And he doesn't fire Howie because he believes that Howie Roseman is the best guy for the job, and I believe he's right in that assessment. But you look at, like, the Flyers and the Phillies. These are organizations that are bad because they're constantly caving in to to public pressure. Like, they're constantly caving in to the demands of, of fans and things like that. Like the Philly. I mean, uh, John Middleton fired Gabe Kapler because fans wanted him fired. Like, let's face it. He didn't fire Gabe, really, because of those September collapses. Like, that's what he said it was about. It wasn't well, he really kept, about He kept bumping that. up against them, though. He, right. He, he kept bumping. Right. But, but you know, it, you see how it's a totally different uh, set of circumstances when it comes to, to Joe Girardi. By the, by the way, did you see Girardi? Taking in some hoops down there tonight in Charlotte? No. Yeah, he was there, I think, with his wife at the game, uh, watching some Sixers Hornets. So nice to see. I watched all the hockey game. I didn't watch any of those. Nice to see Joe out there uh, supporting supporting the Sixers uh, on Wednesday night. But, like, uh, that's why John Middleton fired Kapler. Like, and that was obviously, in retrospect, a bad decision. Like, to fire Gabe Kapler and to hire Joe Girardi you downgraded in the managerial spot. And you did it because of public pressure. You look at what the Eagles did firing Doug Peterson. Like, they didn't do that because people were calling for Doug's job. They did it because it was they thought it was the right thing to do. The Flyers are operate very similarly to the Phillies, where they do things based on public pressure. 
It's the reason they fired Hextall. They didn't fire Hextall because they, uh, you know, I truly don't think they fired him because they thought he was doing a bad job. I don't think they fired him because they thought he was totally botching this rebuild. They fired him because uh, people were yelling, oh, this is taking too long. We got to move forward. And they bring in this, uh, they bring in Chuck Fletcher. He makes a bunch of win now moves. And now you're screwed. What's what's that? Land the plane, Ron. Yeah, exactly. It was like the same thing. And it's like, I, I just don't understand why the Eagles are, are constantly like vilified for making decisions that they feel are in the best interest of the team winning. And you got the Phillies and Flyers out here constantly making decisions based on public pressure. And usually they're they're the wrong ones. At least that's the way I see it. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Darren in South Philly. What's up, Darren? What's up, my guy? How you doing? Good. How you doing? Uh, I was doing peachy keen, agreeing with all your points on the flyers, and then he brought my favorite sport into it, baseball. And, my man, you could be more wronger than ever. If the Phillies caved to public pressure like you claim they do, we'd be in the luxury tax. We'd have Chris Bryant. We'd have Manny Machado. We'd have, you know, a plethora of 106 different people, and there'd be no way we would be begging for them to make the moves that they need to make and uh, spend to fix the, the piss-poor mediocrity of drafting that they've done over the last 10 years. So while the Flyers' point is spot on, the Eagles getting raked over their coals because of decisions they haven't made and fans feel they should make is right on, the Phillies, with the exception of Gabe Kapler, that is the only move they've done to cave to pressure in the last, I'll say, 15 years. Well, I don't know about that, Darren. I mean, I, I, I think – the thing about the, the the thing that I'll push back on with with the with the luxury tax comment is you know that costs John Middleton money. He's willing to to concede up to a certain point up until it costs him money. Then he's not willing to concede. Now, let me okay. Well, let's take it a step further. A double around. The city wanted him gone. Did they did they not bring him back? Did he play in Philly pinstripes again? Yes, but you literally had no other options, and they knew they had no other options. They, they weren't willing to spend the money to. They could have just cut him. Yeah, but they they didn't. Have, they weren't willing to spend money to bring in a real option, and you know it took Adam Hazley going away from the team for them to actually bring him up, even though he was the best option to start the year. But again, you keep sitting saying they caved to public pressure. They don't. I'm I'm, I'm asking you, with the exception of Gabe Kapler, <laughs> but, which we can we can argue back and forth because although I'm not a Kapler fan, I thought it was the right move. I mean, yes, I believe Kapler was drastically. Undermanned, and I don't think like it's, it's been proven. A, a manager like Girardi hasn't been able to do anything with the team. Did the same thing, except for wow, he finished over 500 this this past year. But I mean, Gabe needed to change his scenery. I personally think I think he's actually happier in San Fran than he would would ever have been here. It, fit, it more fits his style. So give me a scenario or another situation. That the Phillies have caved the public perception because they really don't. Well, Darren, I'll give you. You know what? I, you bring up the Herrera thing. I'll actually bring that one back because the Phillies should have had Herrera on the team coming out of spring training. Like I think they caved to public pressure by not having him on the roster to start the season to begin with, and wasting a month or six weeks running Roman Quinn and Adam Hazley out there. Nah, I, I can't. Not that. That's. I mean, my thing is this. I personally, I mean, I'm quite sure you do too. Found what he did despicable. Oh and, yeah. I mean, I don't think they. I honestly think they thought maybe. I agree with the. You know, 
he may have been, and with Adam Hazley down, the second best option. But I don't think they wasted the season. They honestly wanted their draft picks to uh, to uh, pan out. But they've drafted so horribly over the ten years, except for when they got the Yankees dude in here, and now with the Rays guy in here, they'll be a, hopefully they'll draft and have one uniformly thing down. But I don't, I, I, I can't see your point with the Phillies. Like, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you the Flyers all day. I'll give you the Philly, the Eagles. The Eagles that they need to, they, they they get raked over the coals, but the Phillies don't care. John Middleton doesn't care. He's he's what I like to call a fake tough guy. I want my bleeping trophy back, but if you want your bleeping trophy back, you'd spend that money. He does not care what public perception is to him. He just because he feels like oh, I'm going to get my hundreds of millions and maybe even billions of dollars from the city of Philadelphia, and I'll just do whatever I want. So and that's how I take it. That's how he treats us. Yeah, no, I got you, Darren. No, and it's a good, it's a good point. I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. A, a good debate back and forth. But uh, yeah, I mean, I actually do think the Herrera thing was them caving to public pressure. Like he had a good spring training. Like coming out of spring training, didn't he lead them in home runs in the spring or something like that? He, he's up there with some of the top guys on the team. He was clearly the most talented guy in that competition. Right. Yeah. Right. And like, and I, I'm not saying like if they had Herrera on the team to start the year, they would have made the playoffs. Like, I don't believe that to be true, but do I think like running Quinn and Hazley out there for four or five weeks at the beginning of the season probably cost you a few games. Yeah, I do. I mean, you look at what was that game in in New York? Was it, I think it was the final game Hazley played where he just like pulls up on that fly ball. He just stopped playing a fly ball. And Quinn, like what, what did he start the season? Like one for three, 30 or something like hilarious, that. Yeah. It was awful. So, yeah, I mean, I think that did hurt the team to start the year. And I'm, trust me, I'm not bemoaning Oduble being gone, but. Yeah. And then maybe if they're out in front, like maybe if they get off to a better jump, then they're more aggressive at the trade deadline. Could have yeah. been a whole domino effect. Yeah, definitely. 215 592 9494 if you want to get in. Uh, when we get back, uh, I did want to uh, relive an anniversary of a very memorable game uh, from. Uh, almost a decade ago. So we'll do that when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Thursday morning, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Thursday morning. If you want to get in, open lines right now, 215-592-9494 is how you get in. Uh, but real quick, I, I wanted to actually uh, tell a story. And by the way, we've been playing, we've been talking Sixers a, a lot of the night here, and we will continue uh, doing so. Also, the Flyers, they lose their 10th in a row uh, on Wednesday night. But, Mike, you'll enjoy this story that uh, my friend actually texted me about on uh, on Wednesday. All right. Where he was out walking with his kids. And, and you know, I don't know, and I don't want to pry too deep here. I don't know if you've ever thought about having having kids but uh have you ever thought no. about like a unique a unique name like if you did were to have like a, a kid seven? yes that's uh, exactly what what i'm thinking here no nah. well uh I, you know we, i want to get to some sound from charles barkley in a second but it's funny you bring up seven because my friend uh was out walking with his kids and they see the neighbors out and the one uh woman is is pregnant um with their child now the way they arranged it is the woman got to name their daughter who's already been born and uh she's pregnant right now with a boy and the 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 guy in the relationship gets to choose the boy's name and you won't believe this but he's a big Seinfeld fan and they have chose to name their son Seven nice how about that you got to make the middle name Soda so seven so it made me think of that episode i love what jerry's like name a mug mug costanza yeah. um but uh they're naming their son seven which I, I didn't think anybody would actually name their kids a unique name like that are they like you know i wonder if they're also a fan of the mick the what's the what do you mean seven's for mickey mantle right? oh yeah right that's why uh yeah that's why george wanted to name him seven right yeah, and Jerry went on to rationalize it with like seven periods and like seven seven uh, times getting beat up and yeah, I'm sure what else? Yeah, seven. But if anybody wants to get in, if you have like a unique uh, a unique name that you've named your child for a, a weird reason, uh, I'd like to hear that from you because you had a u- unique name for your son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tom, a very very unique name, uh, not very creative or uh, clever. In any way, maybe maybe if I have another kid, I'll, I'll get a little more creative uh, with it. But I'll tell you what, after I would hope so, that'd be, that'd be weird if there's a second Tom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Tom and Tom. Like, what is that? George Foreman who named all his kids George. I think Carlos Ruiz has two Carloses. <laughs> like, why would you do that? It's uh, that that's odd. I don't understand it. But uh, you know, it was interesting. It was funny. My friend texted me about that today because I also saw the same clip and charles barkley we know you know he's a unique guy but he was on i guess this is ernie johnson's podcast i i didn't know ernie either had a podcast or a show who doesn't called, have a podcast right exactly but it's called the steam room uh where it, it's you know it would be more fitting if like ernie and chuck were like sitting in a sauna or something but as far as i could tell it was just them sitting in like in like a green room or something like that and I don't know how this topic came up, um, but they got to talking about Charles's daughter. And uh, Charles uh, also named his daughter a unique name for a very unique reason. Well, she's named after a mall, in fairness. (laughs) That's a Christiana Mall uh, in Delaware that I used to always go by. That's how she got her name, Christiana. Hold 
Stop. Wait, what is it? You named your daughter after a mall? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I just like the mall. <laughs> You're a mess, man. <laughs> I love the justification at the end. Not that he liked the name, but he liked the mall. Is why he chose to name her that. that Not because he's. I thought. W- w- what do you mean? Not as bad. I thought it was going to be a different reason. Not going to be some. What w- w- what were you thinking? Now you got me intrigued. Oh, were you not thinking? I thought like maybe he conceived her there. Oh, oh yeah. Well, that yeah. You you uh that that would have been more interesting than just. But I I thought it was funny that he says he didn't even like. Not that he liked the name, but that he liked the mall was why he named her Christiana. Uh, I've honestly never been to that mall. Like I actually thought that was what was going through Ernie's mind at that time when he paused when he's like, oh no, like that. Well, you know what? Charles was like giggling. Maybe that maybe that was why. Maybe maybe he just didn't want to say it on Ernie's podcast. You know, Ernie, I feel like I feel like that's like a PG. Everything Ernie Johnson does, I feel like is like PG. Like you, you can't mention, you know, something like having sex in a mall around Ernie Johnson. It just it wouldn't fit, you know? Okay. I don't know. It just it doesn't seem maybe if he's gone all the smoke. Maybe then they can delve more if, deeply, if <laughs> no pun intended, delve more deeply into that situation uh, if he's on all the smoke or something like that. But Yeah, it just kind of felt like uh, he's like, look, he's like, oh, God, is this where we're going? And then Charles is like, oh, no, it's just I just like the name. It's that simple. Yeah. So interesting. But if anybody has like a unique, uh, a unique name or reason they name their child something like they like them all. Uh, you're welcome to, to get in on that if you want. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Actually, when we get back, I do want to relive this game. Uh, from the, the came up on an anniversary yesterday. One of the most memorable games uh, that I can remember in recent history. So we'll do that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Um, we spent so much time this week talking about the Eagles quarterback situation uh, and offensive issues that we haven't really gotten to the defense at all this week. Who, You know, this team has issues defensively. And you look at what happened in that game on Sunday, and you could say, oh, though they ended up holding them to 18 points. They got it fixed after the first quarter. But, I mean, that's not good enough. Not against the Jets. I mean, that that's that's one of the worst offenses in all football. I mean, other than Houston, it's probably the worst offense in the NFL. Um, especially in, their numbers when Zach Wilson has been at quarterback are just horrendous. And, and the Eagles struggled way too much early in that game. We'll get more into that in a, a few minutes here. But... I did want to mention uh, yesterday uh, was the eight-year anniversary of one of the most memorable games I can remember attending in recent memory. And I want to get, uh, you know, some of your suggestions on that as well. Uh, some, Some of the most memorable games that you've attended in your life. Like, they don't necessarily have to be huge games. They don't have to be playoff games or anything like that. But yesterday was the eight-year anniversary of the snow game at the link between the Eagles and the Lions. And that was one of the one of the coolest like experiences I've ever had as a sports fan, like being at that game. And it wasn't like you know, the biggest game in the world from a standing standpoint. I mean the Eagles were going for the division at that point. I guess they, in the end, they did kind of need to win that game. They ended up playing Dallas the final week of the season for the division championship. But it was just so weird how that whole day went down. And when you go to games like that, you, like, remember, uh, you know, most of the day and how everything transpired. And At the time, I was an usher at the link, um, which I did for, like, 10 years. And... We're there, and I'm at the stadium at, like, 1030 where we're doing our whole big meeting before the game. Um, and then from, like, 1045 to 1115, before you have to, like, be in your post for the gates to open, you can basically do whatever you want. So I would usually go down and hang out by the pregame show for a little bit uh, before going up and being at my spot where I need to be uh, when the gates open. So I go down there, and I'm hanging out at the pregame show. And at that point... It's just like a few little flurries coming down. And it didn't, I don't believe the forecast was like that insane where it was supposed to snow that much. No, not at all. Yeah. And I, I walk back up to my spot and like, as like, it's it's approaching noon. And all of a sudden it is like a blizzard. And it was it was crazy. And I remember like the first quarter of that game and I wasn't like high up. Uh, my spot was lower level. 30-yard line, so you can see. I mean, it's it's one of the best views in the stadium. That's why I did the, did the job there for so long. But in the first quarter of that game, I literally could not even see the field. Like, it was that crazy where you're just kind of waiting to hear what happened after the play, um, but you couldn't even see what was happening on the field. Were you at that game, Mike? I was, but I was in the confines of the press box. Okay. Were you having trouble seeing from there, or were you able to see all the action from there? No, I, no, I think I, I, if anything, I probably just looked at the monitor. Okay. Yeah. Early in the game, earlier in the game, it was crazy, but it was like one of those really 
cool, unique experiences. Like one of those really unique games oh, yeah. that, that you've been at that you might never get to go to a game like that again, you know? And uh, Shady obviously had that big day and, and uh, the Eagles are able to win that game. And it was just, it, it was just one of those really exciting games to be at. Uh, so if anybody wants to get in on like the most memorable games that they have attended, uh, you're welcome to, because I just, I, I saw that yesterday uh, that it was the eight year anniversary of that, which kind of can't believe it's eight years ago. In some ways it feels like a long time ago, but in other ways it feels like it, it just happened. But yeah, I guess we're talking what three coaches ago? That was Chip's first year at that point. Four coaches ago, right? Yeah, four, three. Uh, Chip, Coach Shermer, Coach Peterson, Coach Sirianni. Oh, Coach Shermer! How could I forget the Coach Shermer, uh, the Coach Shermer era? That one game <laughs> against the Giants uh, in 2015. The Eagles won that game, didn't they? They were victorious. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Coach Shermer. You really, you really screwed us with the draft pick there. Um, but I, I guess it all, I guess it all worked out. Uh, the Eagles ended up trading. By, by the way, how did Rob get into the whole Wentz thing earlier? I, I, I heard Rob was talking about, uh, you know, uh, Wentz and whether the Eagles would have still won the Super Bowl that year in 17, which I, I vote no. I don't think they would have still won it. What, if Foles played, uh, from week one? No, if, no, if, if, if Wentz had not gotten hurt. You know, oh and, and wow! Yeah, I, I that's my he, he loses the Brady. It's a very revisionist take, like because at the time I was devastated when Wentz got hurt. I, everybody was. We all thought the season was over, but I don't know. Part of me feels like they just the the magic they had with Foles, the way Foles played, like it would have been almost impossible for Wentz to play as well as as Foles played. So where would they have been tripped up? I don't think they would have beaten the Patriots, but, but they beat the Vikings and Falcons. Probably, I think they probably do. I mean, and it's honestly Wentz, kind Wentz of a, would have beat the the Falcons that year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a stupid exercise because you a billion things could have gone differently in those games. But yeah, the Falcons, you pretty much won that game with your defense anyway. Like one thing we don't really remember from that game is Foles and the offense were not very good in that game, especially in the first half. You know, and oh, the no, I remember. Well, the play that really turned that game was that ball goes off Keanu Neal's knee and then uh, Torrey Smith catches it and that sets you up for the field goal before half. But I don't know, like in the Super Bowl, how much like like how much better could Wentz have played than Foles played in that game? So I don't know. Yeah. I don't think they do win it. But I heard Rob talking about that and uh, it piqued my interest. Oh, uh, during Rob's uh, birthdays and things that happened on this day segment, speaking of the Snow Bowl, uh Today's David Aker's birthday. Ah, so there you go. Okay. There's, there's another reason to bring that game up. There you go. Uh, did, did David Aker? Did David Aker? He didn't. He didn't make a kick in that game, did he? Uh, didn't they just go for two? Or was that maybe he did they make a kick? I definitely did the start. I don't know if it, they finished that way. Yeah, whatever. I don't. I, now we're getting too much into the details. All I remember is Shady had a big game. I think was it Deshaun had a touchdown had a, or Riley Cooper had a touchdown. Oh, Deshaun definitely had a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the end zone. And I think Riley Cooper had a big catch at some point. But, again, uh, my memory's failing me. The guy uh, Ross on Detroit ran one back. Ran okay. Ran a kickoff back. Right. Right. So that's our uh, right. our memory of that game. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. if you want to get in. But I, I did want to talk a little bit here about the Eagles' defense because uh, we've been focused so much on the offense this week and the struggles that they've had on that side of the ball that we haven't really discussed 
a lot about the defense. And it was, a, I thought, a poor performance on Sunday. Like, in the end, yeah, you only give up 18 points. You don't allow any points after those first three drives. But that's a Jets offense that you should dominate. Like, that's not a team that you should have any sort of struggles with at all. And, um, you know, Jonathan Gannon spoke the other day uh, and talked about the issues the Eagles had. Here's Gannon uh, about what happened early in that game to make the Eagles defense struggle. Kind of how they attacked us early. Um, They did a couple things that I didn't, you know, really – in my mind thought that they were going to attack because they attacked us a little bit differently than I thought, honestly. So um, when we came off there, then, you know, we talked about it as a staff, it was, Hey, we got to make some adjustments here. What calls do we need to get to? How do we got to start playing to kind of stop the bleeding? And um, what I'm, what I'm very proud about, you know, we had a meeting yesterday with our players and even the, as the game didn't go as we wanted it to, as it didn't start the way we wanted it to start, obviously, uh, there was no panic, uh, good resilience by our guys. And they said, okay, well, what are we going to play? What are we going to run? And let's start executing at a higher level. And, JG, you do a better job, and we'll do a better job, and we'll get this thing turned around. So it was good to, uh, it was good to see us, you know, kind of get rolling when we did because we needed to. And the Eagles did end up getting stops after those first few drives, but it was pretty ugly early. Here's more from Gannon on uh, the defense moving forward. As far as where the defense is, is you know you're never a you're never a finished product. You're always trying to improve. That's what the head coach talks about. That's what we talk about with our guys. You know, and like I've said before, you want to be ascending and getting better each week and be you know playing you know good sound football. And uh, you you don't want to be making a bunch of mistakes and you don't want the performances to go up and down. You know, you want to keep ascending in a positive way. And I think we're right there. I mean, there's a lot of work ahead of us, um, but I feel good about where we're at. And, you know, a lot of this team, and we, as I said, we've talked so much this week about the offense and the quarterbacks, but this season could very well come down to how this defense plays. I mean, you'll have an opportunity in the next three weeks going against quarterbacks that aren't great. And, and granted, Heineke's played well, um, and it looks like Washington has at least found – a competent quarterback like I don't I don't think he's the kind of guy they're just going to throw their full support behind as far as being their franchise guy but I also don't think they're like desperate to go out and like draft a quarterback if they don't like any of these guys early on like Heineke is has shown the ability to play at a pretty high level now aside from that I mean Daniel Jones Mike Glennon uh, those guys are guys who should be able to have a lot of success against um, and even against the Giants, even though the Eagles hold the Giants 13 points, you're not able to create turnovers. You're not able to force Daniel Jones into mistakes. And that's concerning, you know, because that's a quarterback who does turn the ball over, who you should be able to force into mistakes. And the Eagles weren't able to do it. And the question is, like, is it the personnel or is it the coaching? And somebody who's been very critical of the Eagles defense not just this year, but going back, he couldn't stand Jim Schwartz either, with Seth Joyner. And here's Seth Joyner on Sunday uh, talking about the issues of the Eagles' defense. Defensively, if you're going to predictably play zone and you're lined up with no kind of movement or any kind of disguise, you know, even the most mundane of quarterbacks, you know, can complete passes on you. 
That's the thing that I didn't understand because, you know, throughout the year, what Jonathan Gannon has done is when he played against younger quarterbacks, more inefficient quarterbacks, he's brought some pressure. Aggression begets turnovers because you create the pressure, especially on a young quarterback, to speed up his clock. And those plays where you saw his clock get sped up because, you know, the, the Eagles' defensive line were in pass rush mode, um, you know, he made some mistakes. He made some bad throws. You know, he threw the interception because he was under pressure. You're not going to get the turnovers. You can't just drop in the zone and expect for a quarterback to throw you the ball. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's some truth in that. Like, the Eagles could be more aggressive against some of these young quarterbacks, especially some of these guys who are more susceptible to turnovers. But it also goes deeper. And here's more from Seth Joyner on, uh, you know, the issues he has with Jonathan Gannon as a coordinator. I don't understand this method and this madness, you know, that Jonathan Gannon is employing. And quite frankly, it is like the most boring football to watch because in Philadelphia, we've been raised and bred on aggressive style defense where we force the issue. And it's just really, really difficult to sit back and watch a game where, you know, a defense plays so passive. The coordinator's passive, which makes the players passive, you know, and, and early in the game, it looked like, you know, Zach Wilson was Joe Montana instead of Zach Wilson all of a sudden. And he had been a turnover machine the entire year. So why would your game plan be to come in and play him soft, play him passively? And again, like, I think in some instances, sure, the Eagles do need to be more aggressive, especially against some of these young quarterbacks. But that's not the real issue here. Like, the real issue is that they're not getting enough from their defensive line. And... It's been a failure of the organization this year, without a doubt. Like, And I stick up for them a lot, but with all the investments that they have made into this defensive line, they are getting very little production. And I know Fletcher Cox has taken a lot of the heat, and he, he should take heat. I mean, he's paid a lot of money. He is not playing well. He's not having a good season. But it's not just Fletcher Cox. I mean, Hargrave has disappeared recently. Uh, Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett, have not been very good. I mean, Derek Barnett gives you virtually nothing. Ryan Kerrigan has been a complete bust of a signing. And when you look at these last four games, and yeah, sure, they're going to need to score points, and the quarterback play is going to need to be better. And Jalen Hurts, if he is healthy and he is the quarterback, which you'd expect, is going to need to play better and make more plays through the air. But this defense has got to step up. I mean, this is a big stretch for them to end this season because I've been disappointed overall I mean yeah a guy like Slay is having a phenomenal year I mean where would the Eagles be without him at this point uh he I think should be probably in the top three in the NFC as far as defensive player of the year uh, voting goes he's been phenomenal um but the way this defense is structured is not like to blitz constantly like this defense is set up to get pressure with the front four, especially when your linebackers you know aren't great. Uh, you need to get more pressure up front. And when I look at the end of the season, and yeah, I mean, I think Gannon could be doing a better job. I think there are some games like the Raiders game, the Chargers game, where he's just been uh, completely, uh, has completely lacked any sort of aggressiveness. Um, but in the end, it's about the players on the field. And, and when you look at this defense, they need a lot more production than they've gotten out of the defensive line this season. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Chris in West Philly who wants to weigh in on the uh, Super Bowl year. What's up, Chris? 
Hey, ZK, how are you? Good, how you doing? Good. Uh, I was at that Detroit game, but my most memorable game was um, the New Year's Eve game, the first playoff game with McNabb and uh, Era and uh, Reed against Tampa Bay. Oh, the one against the Bucks, yeah. The one against the Bucks. It was freezing. One of my coldest games I've ever been to. But the Super Bowl year, I don't like to go back. But you saying we would have lost if if, uh, if Wentz was uh, if Wentz didn't get hurt, we would have lost to New England. That's well, I I just think Chris, I I find it hard to believe that Wentz could have even played yeah. as well as Why? as Foles did in the Super because Foles Why? was amazing Wentz, in that game. Wentz, Wentz, that would Wentz killed that whole year. Why? 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 Because Wentz you killed that whole year. You couldn't play. He could not have played any better than Foles played in that game. Like, there's no way. Foles was phenomenal in that game. Yes, he was. He was. The, yes, he was. But the same opportunities would have been for Wentz. And Wentz was making every throw that year. Wentz was. Yeah, remember when, um, like, year, a year or two later, when, when um, Alshon Jeffries had a problem with Wentz? That year, they were magic together. They, he was going to Alshon that whole Super Bowl year. And Alshon was catching everything. Wentz was making every throw that, that Super Bowl season. Like I don't understand. Like if we would have, if Wentz never got hurt, we would have still won the Super Bowl. Well, we met the, the Eagles may have, Chris, but you know, you look at, at, at the fact that at the time Wentz was a second-year quarterback going into a Super Bowl. Like who knows how he would have handled the nerves of that situation compared to Foles? Been, it would have been the same, same, same thing with Brady. Brady was the second year, went up against Kurt Warner and the Rams. That no one gave him a shot. And they still won. Like it would have happened because that's what sports is—is magic. Maybe Chris, but I mean, I, I mean, ultimately, it's a kind of a futile debate because we'll never know. But, I know, I know, but but, but uh, I don't uh, know, man. I, I I'm think, a Wentz fan. I'm still a Wentz fan. I'm sorry. No, I hear you, and and a lot of people are, and, and you know, he's having a a decent year. He's played okay played year. better okay. of late. He's been okay. Um, but okay. you know he's he's managing games out there. They're six and six, and and they could very well make the playoffs. I just. I just find it find it hard to believe that that he could have played as well as Foles played in that game. I hear you. I hear you. That was so. still one of the best of the world of all time. Though. Without a doubt. But, Without a doubt. I appreciate, well, I appreciate it, it, Chris. Thanks, man. Uh, appreciate the call. And yeah, I mean, it's honestly not even a an anti Carson Wentz thing. It's just at the time. I mean, Nick Foles played as flawless of a, a game as you could have played. Like it was pretty incredible the role he was on at that time and. Say what you want about Nick Foles. He's not, you know, a franchise quarterback without a doubt. But, man, when he gets hot, he gets really hot. He's really tough to stop. And, uh, man, that game was just just phenomenal. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. We get back. Uh, I will kind of reset the table some of the things we've been talking about. And I do want to get uh, to a player the Sixers we know are interested in. Um, and his potential availability moving forward. So we'll get to that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Thursday morning. I'm just looking up at the TV screen here. Mike, your boy J.J. Redick is now an ESPN basketball analyst. Have you seen these battles? What? No, what battles? He and Stephen A. go at it. Really? Yeah. Is J.J. holding his own yeah. against Stephen A.? Yeah, he stands in there and takes the charge and, you know, just keeps – Keeps playing, yeah. Wow, that's more than he did. More than he do on the floor. He was JJ was never a big charge taker, was he? Not that I remember. Yeah, JJ wasn't big. Yeah, that or loose balls or he played his own pace. And speaking, we're talking about memorable games and like uh, we were talking earlier about the potential of Steph Curry setting the three point record at the uh, Wells Fargo Center on Saturday night. I, I saw JJ Redick set. A, a, a record at the Wells Fargo Center. Oh yeah, that's right. The Duke scoring record uh, against my Temple Owls. I believe it was 06. It was 05 or 06. I would have thought 05. It might have been 05. I forget. It was either my freshman or sophomore year. Like like Mad Dog said yesterday, I have one of these kids. You know, in college, drink a little too much. I uh, didn't remember. Every, <laughs> didn't remember everything about that game. But uh, yeah, JJ set the uh, Duke. Is he still the all time? Scoring leader at Duke, or has he since been overtaken? I'm not sure who would have overtaken. Who would have been the candidates? Yeah, yeah. Coach who would have stayed for the years. one in? The- yeah, um, I'm trying to. Yeah, I don't. One of the Joneses. Think. I, don't I mean, Kyrie was only there for a few games. Um, uh, Kyrie was there for ten games. Yeah, <laughs> and they had Javari Parker, but he was only there for like a year. So it probably is JJ. He I guess might, it was 06. JJ might have that record forever now. And that, that was memory. He was so hateable in college. Uh, he, he was, like, one of the most hateable college players ever. Uh, but, yeah. He, and like, he, I think he – no, he, nobody liked J.J. Redick in yeah. college. No, I, I just like. – I don't know if he, you can pinpoint it. No. But, yeah, he is still the, the current leader by almost 200 points over Johnny Dawkins. And, I, I mean, he's probably going to hold that record forever now. I mean, what, what, what four-year guy is going to go to Duke and stay that long and be that successful, so – what if Grayson Allen would have done it if not for the suspensions? Yeah, yeah that's a good point. He might have. Oh, is he up there on the list? I don't know. I, I was, oh, okay. You know, I was thinking of guys who have been there for a while. I'll, t- I'll, came to mind. I'll say this about Grayson Allen, man. He's he's a better player than I thought he was going to be. Like He's a really solid NBA player. It's going to be a battle when um, when, when DiVincenzo yeah, comes DiVincenzo back. Yeah, comes back, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm surprised. Like, Why would Memphis get rid of Grayson Allen? You know, I feel like he was a, a nice role player for that team. They made some curious moves in my mind because I would have kept Jonas Valanciunas, too. He's a monster. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, J.J. Redick on ESPN. I, I will not uh, – I have not seen any of his work yet. So I'll check oh, you got to look – if you can pick out two, look up on YouTube him arguing about the Stewart-James uh, fight or whatever that was, altercation. And then also uh, – Stephen A. dismisses him that the Phoenix Suns can compete for a title, and J.J. like really goes at him about it. Okay. And like Stephen A. ends up like agreeing with him without realizing it. Well, J.J., you know he's not afraid to give takes. I'm just disappointed. I would like, you know, when he's doing his ESPN hits, they should just have that guy Tommy just like sitting in the background. Yes, recording. Just like sitting, yeah, just like sitting behind him with a pair of headphones on, uh, not really doing anything. And just holding out like a recorder. I just envision that guy just follows J.J. Redick around everywhere he goes. You know, like he just—I think that's he's really like Darren Kramer's intern. Oh, right, right, Kramerica. Darren. <laughs> oh man, Darren. 
but uh, it, speaking of Stephen A, we do have some sound from Stephen A to play in a few minutes, so we'll get to that as well. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Art in the Northeast. What's up, Art? Hey, how you doing? TJ? Good, how you doing, man? There I go. I call you TJ again. Oh. I'm Timothy Joseph. That's oh, well. Hey. I'm Thomas Joseph Art. So there you I, go. That's what I meant. Thomas so you can call, you your, can call me TJ. Your middle name. Joseph. Yes. Yes. But anyway, uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, disagree more with your last caller, and I couldn't agree more with you. And I'll tell you why. Uh, and this is not a knock on Wentz, um, but. The Eagles were all out to win that Super Bowl because the defense gave up a million yards uh, to Brady, so forth. Matter of fact, New England took the lead. I think it was 32-31. Um, it took the perfect, and this is where I agree with you, a hundred and a million percent. It took the perfect play of the quarterback, Nick Bowles, to win that game. And I don't think when. Or, or any other quarterback that day was winning that Super Bowl miraculously. And I'm not saying Bolt is better than Wentz. Wentz right. is a better quarterback. Yeah, definitely. But he had the miraculous, clutch, gutsy game where he did everything right. If you want to, it's the closest thing to perfection that you could find for the Eagles to win that Super Bowl. So, no. I don't believe Wentz would have won that Super Bowl had he played in it. Yeah, Even Art, Wentz, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah, Art. I was just going to say the same thing, and you're right. It's like it's not even like an anti Carson Wentz thing. It's just not like at all. he was a second year player. You know, you'd expect um, at some point, you know, the moment might catch up to him or something like that. And and Foles was so good in that game. It's hard to envision any quarterback playing that well. Agreed, one hundred percent. And and Wentz did a lot to get the Eagles there. I grant it. No, no, Wentz isn't winning that Super Bowl. It took a, rem- a miraculous Bulls performance, which it was, to win that Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Art, and I appreciate the call. And yeah, I mean, uh, Rob Cherry was talking about this earlier, and and yeah, I just don't, I don't think it it would have happened. And I think it it. It's weird how it all worked out because I remember that day and we're coming up on that four-year anniversary of that. That's probably uh, – I forget what day that – I think it was December 10th. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I that night I was I was devastated the night of that Eagles-Rams game. I thought the season was over. It, we had started to feel like this is the year. Wentz goes down. And, and I remember getting in a big argument with Ike uh, at Chickie's and Pete's the day after, I think it was the day after the season finale against Dallas, where I got in a huge argument with Ike. No, that was New Year's Day. That would have been okay. So maybe it was the week. Maybe it was the day after the Raider game, the twenty sixth. Yeah, maybe that's when it was. But uh, Ike was Ike was insistent that like you know they can still get on a run with Foles. This thing's not over. And I was I was on the total opposite side where I'm like they're done. You know, stop, stop this. Ike. You were They're negative? Not... <laughs> yes, I was. I know it's very hard to believe. Um, but think about how full circle things have come. Because now, you know, Ike's the leader of the LTBB, and I'm an, an- I'm an anti-Wentz guy. It- it- we've really uh, shifted around in four years. Yeah. But Ike had a more level-headed approach, and he was right. I mean, that the- and the difference is just, like, I have the mind of- mindset of a fan, and, like, he has the mindset of a player. Like, 
as far as like his mindset and the mindset of the team is basically okay well next man up you know whoever is out there can potentially do the job the defense can carry the load (laughs) uh whatever it is but I had more of the mindset of a fan uh which is oh well the MVP quarterback's done you know we're going with Nick Foles there's no chance the Eagles are going to win a Super Bowl I will say, too, Ike has been a longtime supporter of Nicky Six, as he calls him. Yes. Ike's a supporter of, of all quarterbacks. I'm trying to think of a quarterback. No, that he, I don't think he likes Sammy Sleeves. Yeah, that's true. No, nobody likes Sammy Like they're Rightfully so. Who yeah. was a, were, were there any, like, Sammy Sleeve stands out there? Oh, was it? Who used to fight somebody on him? Oh, was it our old friend Ben Livingston? Oh, my. Well, I mean, you talk. And I, I like Ben. As a person, I Ben yeah. was a very guy. nice guy, a little quirky, but a very nice guy. The worst sports opinions of anybody I've ever was met it him though. I remember you used to like you had a like a series of arguments with somebody. Yeah, well, it was probably okay. Ben. Yeah, I think it was that. That's a good as good a guess as any. Um, because uh, yeah, he he was a big uh, you know Sam Bradford has a great completion percentage. Uh, and and all that stuff, but yeah, Ben, man, he had some just terrible sports. There were other guys that he just was a huge fan of. I, I, and I'll never forget when he he was insistent that at the NFC Championship game, he's like, I was in the crowd, and Patrick Robinson ran back that touchdown, and he said like the 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 guy next to him just burst out in tears. It's like, what are you talking about? They tied the game at seven. It's the first quarter. Like, nobody at that point knew the Eagles were going to win that game. Like, hey, man, it was an emotional moment. It was an exciting moment, but uh, come on, Ben. Two one five five nine two. Maybe the guy did cry over it. I, I, I doubt it, okay? I mean, maybe hmm. – I, I guess I, I'm no spot to call anybody a liar, but – I'm going to go with the boots-on-the-ground guy. I, but I was boots-on-the-ground at that game, too. He uh, was closer. I guess, but I don't. I just don't believe that. Like I've been to enough Eagles games to know, like the crowd, and like when yeah. it's seven seven in the first quarter, I don't think anybody is like bursting into tears, like believing the Eagles are, are absolutely winning that game. We'll have to book Ben to tell the story. Maybe we will. I'd like to. I'd like to talk to Ben. Uh, so maybe we will be maybe able to when the anniversary the comes up. He there's no way he's Ben strikes me as a guy who needs his sleep though. You know he's not going to be joining us. In these hours, maybe I can like record an interview yeah. with Ben or something. Yeah, uh, but I don't think he's going to be uh, be joining us live uh, on the show. Um, and I'm interested because I'm watching this Brady documentary on uh, the ESPN Plus, where he, it's like similar. It, it's okay. It's like eight to ten episodes, I guess. It's not as good as the Last Dance, like not anywhere close, but. Uh, it tells the story of like Brady's career with the Patriots, and and it's Brady basically just about how great Brady is. I am interested to see how deep they go on that Eagles Super Bowl and whether they really talk a, a lot about it because uh, they focus on a lot of the good stuff. Obviously, early on in his career, there wasn't a lot of bad. Like they went pretty deep on the Eagles Super Bowl, and you'd like this, Mike. They were. Uh, yeah, Bruschi and Vrabel on there, and they're taking pot shots at Coach five. Coach Vrabel? Yeah, they're taking pot shots at five. But Bruschi's nice. like, Bruschi's like, these guys, they're 
walking up the field, and we're just like, I don't know what they're doing, but <laughs> we might as well. Just, and he's like, he's like, I don't know that. You know, McNabb was a good quarterback, but sometimes when he was back there, you're just like, what are these guys doing? And I'm like, shut up, Bershke. Like, just, I'm, I like Vrabel. Like, Vrabel's, Vrabel is actually, like, seems like a cool guy. Mm. Teddy Bershke seems like a jerk. Like, I don't I don't need to hear any more Bershke's takes on anything. So that, that bothered me. We've had enough pot shots at five. Everybody can have their, no, their he's, fun he, with he, Donovan. He, he was terrible that game. He deserves it. Mm. Uh, that terrible. Yeah, he's terrible that game. He was. He was the reason they lost that game. No, Have no a doubt blessed evening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the worst part of that game, by the way, was when he throws a pick and the flag gets thrown, and then next play throws worse. another one. It's like, come on, dude. He, yeah, I'm a Donovan guy. I can't defend the Super Bowl. And like, unless I guess Donovan Bash Westbrook was completely blanketed on that play. Yeah, yeah, and was it Rodney Harrison who p- picked it off? And Donovan, I do yeah. love, love him pointing to like the sky and <laughs> saying the wind was blowing. It's like, come on, man. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. When we get back, we'll get to the Stephen A. sound uh, and what the Sixers could do. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Thursday morning. Open lines if you want to get into 15-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, uh, Talking uh, earlier about the Sixers and the situation they're in right now is they beat the Hornets on Wednesday night, 110-106, in a very similar game to the one they played Monday, where, you know, they got a scuffle to beat this team, Hornets down a bunch of players, and the Sixers really struggling. And and it's getting to the point where, you know, you look at this team right now, and they have no way to win a championship with this roster as it's currently configured. Like, if you come out of the trade deadline, and this team looks anywhere near what it looks like right now, you're not going to have any chance going into the postseason. Like, you just don't have the players. The guys that you need to make strides just aren't making them or aren't making them quickly enough. Like, I, man, I've gotten so frustrated watching a guy like Matisse Thibel lately where, yeah, he's a good defender, but he has, like, regressed offensively. Like, he's gotten even worse where he, he can't do anything. Like, he can't put the ball on the floor. He can't make threes, which if he could just, you know, be a, a competent three-point shooter, he could be such a useful player. But he they're not even guarding him. Like, teams aren't even guarding him. They are pleading for him to shoot. And it's like, you it's hard to even have him out on the floor because it doesn't matter how good he is defensively. If you're not giving your team anything on offense— you're not making shots from the outside, it really puts you know, your team in a bad position and puts Joel Embiid in an even worse position. Um, and when you look at what this team really needs, I mean, they are not going to really be contenders as long as I see it until they get that like lead perimeter score. Like That's what they've always needed with Joel Embiid, and that's what they have failed to provide Joel Embiid. It's what they've failed to to acquire in his time here. They tried last year with Harden. It didn't work out. Like, I don't think Houston ever was going to trade him here. Um, but for whatever the reason was, you're not able to get that deal done. And now with the Ben Simmons thing blowing up the way it has, that's ultimately what they need. You know, and they have no chance to really compete for a title unless they get that kind of guy. Now, there are reports out there, there were reports the other day that maybe Sixers could explore a trade with Portland for C.J. McCollum surrounding Ben Simmons. Other reports have said the Sixers aren't interested in C.J. McCollum. And I wouldn't be interested in C.J. McCollum either. Like, he's a nice player. He's not what you need. Like, if you trade Ben Simmons for McCollum and whatever else, you know, whatever other supplemental pieces that you would get from the Trailblazers, you're just not you're just not going to be able to reach that level. Like you need a kind of a star level player. And you know, the Portland situation is going to be really interesting to watch over the next couple of weeks because they just got rid of their GM, Neil O'Shea, who you know, their organization was in disarray. They had uh, issues there as far as going on within the organization. And he ends up getting fired 
And now, you know, everything is called into question. They are off to a bad start this season. They're 11 and 15. And as we know, in the offseason, there were rumblings surrounding Damian Lillard and like the possibility that he could be on the move at some point. Um, and as of now, Lillard remains kind of insistent that he does not want to leave Portland and that he wants to stay, he wants to see it through. But at some point, you kind of got to decide whether you care about winning or not. Like, that team with Damian Lillard, they're not going to win. Like, they are not going to win with that core as established. They're capped out. They have no way to get better. Whatever they get for McCollum is not going to be good enough to raise the level of that team. And, and in a lot of ways, like, they're kind of similar to the Sixers where they have one star player, but they have really no way to surround that guy. The difference the Sixers have Simmons, who is a more valuable trade asset than McCollum or anything else Portland has. And Richard Jefferson talked about this on whatever, what is the name of the show again? Because uh, I guess I was going to say the jump, but it's not the jump. I guess Rachel Nichols owns the uh, owns the copyright or whatever. <laughs> NBA Today. NBA Today with Malika Andrews. Um, but uh, here was Richard Jefferson on, you know, Dame being committed to the Blazers, but maybe the Blazers not being committed enough uh, to winning with Damian Lillard. And I think there's no doubt that's a possibility where the Blazers, I I honestly think it's probably the right move for them. Like, they need to rebuild. If they're going to trade Damian Lillard, it's better to do it sooner rather than later. Like, every year they wait and every year he adds to his age and, and the older he gets, the less valuable that he ultimately becomes. And... With the Blazers bringing in a new front office, they just hired a new coach in Chauncey Billups, now would seemingly be the time, if you're going to blow it up and you're going to rebuild, now would seemingly be the time to do it. Stephen A. Smith uh, was talking about it on first take as well um, on uh, Wednesday, and here was Stephen A.'s take on what the Blazers should do. Stephen A. Smith, what should Portland be trying to do now? They should be trying to trade Damian Lillard immediately. Um, I have spoken to Damian Lillard on numerous occasions over the years. I have told him and CJ directly that I don't believe they will win together. And I think I've been proven to be right. And as a result, when we look at the incredible value that Damian Lillard brings to the table, that's something that we can't ignore. Now he's been dealing with an abdominal injury since 2017. 
he's sitting down and healing now, uh, but who knows what he's going to deal with that from a surgical perspective uh, down the road sooner than later. We just don't know what's going to happen. But in the end, right now, when you consider the state of affairs that exist in Portland, you got a rookie head coach in Chauncey that we wish him nothing but the best and mm-hmm. we all love Chauncey, but all of us viewed him as basically a president of basketball operations or a GM more so than a coach. So you're working with a rookie coach. Damian Lillard tells me he's all in. He ain't going to half step. He's in. He wants to stay in Portland. Uh, he's committed to being there, what have you. But I don't believe, and I said as much to him, that Portland should be committed to keeping him. The fact of the matter is Damian Lillard is such an elite player, such a closer, that if you put him on the market, you're going to get incredible value in return for him because him and CJ are essentially the same player. It's just that Damian is better. And together, I don't think they're going to win, particularly in the Western Conference. He's better off going someplace else. And I happen to know for a fact that if he were to leave Portland, the number one destination he'd want to be at is New York because of Madison Square Garden and the confidence that he'd have in being able to lure players to come and play with him. But you're going to have Philly as a potential candidate, Boston as a potential candidate, along with others. Better and get I'm a sure third team in there, too, because the I, Knicks ain't got enough assets. Right. And I'm sure his representation <laughs> will try to convince them to embrace those other teams. Shut up, Wilbon. I mean, we don't need Wilbon. Don't interrupt Stephen A. when he's making a point, okay? We don't need Michael Wilbon jumping in and and – you know, giving his his takes when Stephen A is when Stephen A's rolling, you let him roll. That's like the first rule of working with Stephen A. Um, but like, I think Stephen A is right. Like, I am at the point where, especially with the Blazers now reshaping their front office, I think Lillard is going to be traded by the deadline. I think by the trade deadline, whether it's you know closer to then or closer to now. I believe Portland will trade him. Obviously, he could be wrong, but I firmly believe he is moved by the deadline. And if he ends up getting shopped, Daryl Morey's got to find a way to pull this off. Like, this is the Sixers' future. I think it's dependent on, on Morey getting this deal done. Like, he needs to find a way to get Damian Lillard. And this has been the name that all offseason we talked about that could he become available in the summer didn't happen you know uh, he I, I think it was complicated by the fact that the Olympics were going on Lillard was you know there most of the offseason I think he honestly wanted to give it one more chance with Portland it, it ain't gonna work like it's obviously not gonna work they're 11 and 15 best case scenario for them they're a playing team in the west and you even getting the if you're able to get through that playing tournament, you get in, you're going to get slaughtered by Phoenix or Golden State in the first round. So, you know, it's not going to work out long term there. They're at a spot as an organization where you just bring in a new coach, you're bringing in a new front office. It makes sense for them to blow it up, to rebuild, and trade Damian Lillard. And, you know, I would include anything other than Joel Embiid. Like, I would do anything if I was Daryl Morey to get this done. Because, uh, you know, you can't worry about the future anymore. Like, with where the Sixers are. This is their one shot. This is their one shot to acquire a star-level player. And if it's not Lillard, it better be Bradley Beal. Like, you need to get one of those two guys. I think there's a strong chance both of them are traded. I absolutely think Lillard will be traded. And the way I look at it, I see this as just like the perfect player 
at the ideal time. And this is why Daryl Morey was brought in here. You know, he was brought in here to be able to close this kind of a deal. And you got to figure out a way to make it work because every day that passes here, it just the smoke is continuing to build. And like the rumblings are getting louder. And it's it's only the beginning of December. Like this is only going to continue. Um, and it, it, it just starts to look more and more like Damian Lillard getting traded uh, is is a real legitimate possibility. And if that ends up happening, he's got to end up with the Sixers. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. John in Center City, Jimmy in Mount Holly. See you both there. We'll get you both right when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you for a couple more segments right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you on a Thursday morning. And uh, Dan on Twitter uh, tweets at me that another way you could sell Dame Lillard on potentially wanting to come to Philadelphia is the the Philadelphia rap scene. Now, I don't I'm not, you know, too um, plugged in, but uh, I, I would assume Philadelphia's got too plugged in or you're not plugged in. No, I'm not plugged in. I'm not very plugged. Thank you for calling me out on that. Like I know, well, I was kind of excommunicated from the Philly rap scene when I got into my altercation uh, with Meek. Oh right, right. So that was you know that I kind Meek is kind of like I guess the leader of the the Philadelphia rap uh, rap. He's the well, most famous one, well, and I, you, I'm assuming I'm just assuming like I would be excommunicated. Do you think you pass it on to? others or do you think like he kept it to himself he probably has no he probably has no recollection of who i am um but yep i did get into an altercation with meek mill at an eagles game uh a few years ago no you know it was my fault i i misread his ticket uh that was my my bad my mistake but uh you know not one of my finer moments cap Um, gun kelly there you go but uh Maybe I mean Dame. Dame is a is a is a rap artist as his kind of side side gig. Uh, maybe you could sell him on that. But it, this is the problem. Like I'm guessing New York might have a better scene than Philadelphia does. I wouldn't know. Maybe I can help. I had a more pleasant uh, encounter with Meek Mill than you did. You did. When did you have an encounter with? He Meek? came by the the, stu- the the 400 Market Studios with Dion Waiters. Really to record stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> really, I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't misread his, his ticket or anything. I just uh, just let him in I. and let him go. Nice job. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, let's go back to the phones. Go to John in Center City. What's up, John? Hi, TK. How are you today? Good. How you doing? <clears throat> Pretty good. I liked your point about Matisse, but uh, a couple of factors why I, I I think he should stay with the team or could stay with. The I think he's a little more coachable than some of the other players out there. And I've seen glimpses of better offense at times with him. If the team could focus on improving his offense a little bit, boy, he he could really be one of the the better all-around players in the league. I I really firmly am confident with that. Yeah, John. I, John. Yeah, I, I'll let you finish. But yeah, I don't want to get rid of him. I'm just, I've just been disappointed in his lack of, in his lack of improvement shooting the ball. I mean, if he could be a competent three point shooter, he could be so useful. And and he's kind of like regressed in that area. You're right. You're right. And he's like a poor man, uh, poor man uh, uh, Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, five six inches shorter. He, he can really play uh, D, and uh, he's. Tremendous asset on defense. If he could improve that offensive game, boy, there's no telling how good this kid could be. I really like him, and I think he's coachable. The other point I wanted to bring up quickly is I like the D. Lillard uh, and Bradley Beal deal. I think I like Beal a little bit more. I I understand Lillard's contract gets really, really top-heavy in the next year or two. It goes up to $50 million a year. Yeah. And – you know, God forbid somebody like that, and I see it a lot. A lot of these smaller players, the exception being maybe Chris Paul, a lot of these smaller players break down as as they get older, and I'm a little bit concerned about that. About that. Bradley Beal has a little more height, uh, a little less contract, I, you know, but I guess you'd have to weigh all these things because you're not going to win a championship. Even though I love Maxie, you're not going to win a championship with Maxie. 
Yeah, no, I agree, John. And, and it's a fair concern with Lillard. I mean, he has had more injury issues as he's gotten older. And, yeah, he, he's his contract is going to be above $50 million, uh moving forward. So that's obviously going to be wow. prohibitive. So, I mean, I like Lillard slightly better. But, hey, I mean, if you ended up getting Bradley Beal, I'd be fine with that, too. I mean, either way, you need a player like that. You know what I mean? You do. You do because you watch this team – particularly at the closing of games, and they don't really have an identity. A player like that would, would uh, establish a little more uh, identity, especially towards the end of the game. And you need that in the playoff, within the playoff uh, uh, structure of the games because a lot of times these teams, particularly the Sixes, and being a, a, a big fan, they fall flat at the end of the game, particularly that offense. They don't particularly pass extremely well at the end of the game. There's a uh, a lot of mishaps, and having one of those two guys, boy, that could really shore up the front for that team in playoffs. Yeah, no no doubt about it, John. And, and I appreciate the call. Thanks. And, yeah, I mean, it is it, it is their problem. It's late in games. They just have to go to Embiid, and he's got to do everything. And, I mean, teams aren't worried about Tobias Harris at the end of a game. As good as Seth Curry has been for this team, he can't be, like, your primary perimeter scoring option at the end of a game, they, they need a guy like that. And uh, may, perhaps, fortunately for the Sixers, uh, two you know prime guys who could fit in very well for what they need could become available. Now, obviously, I, it's not to the point where they're being shopped yet. As I said, I do think at this point Lillard's going to get traded. I, it, it seems to be trending in that direction. It seems like it has for a little while now. And then Bradley Beal as well. They got off to a good start in Washington. They have tailed off since. And Bradley Beal, you know, I mentioned this earlier, said he's not signing a long-term extension. And his exact quote was, I'm not going to make a grand commitment and it not work. You have to be selfish at some point. And that's the thing with these star players in, in the NBA. Like, eventually you get to a point in your career where you're going to want to win. And this is another issue the Sixers are facing with Embiid potentially in a year or two. Because, like, Lillard doesn't dislike playing in Portland. Uh, Bradley Beal, from all indications, doesn't dislike playing in Washington. But these guys see, like, the prime of their career falling by the wayside, being on teams that ultimately aren't competitive. Like, okay, you get to the playoffs, but you're not competing for championships. You know, you're not playing deep into the postseason. And if we get a year or two down the line and Embiid is surrounded by guys like Tobias and a bunch of other players who just aren't good enough and the Sixers are going out in the first, second round every year, I don't care how much Embiid loves Philadelphia. And I don't doubt that he does love it here. Like, I think he does enjoy playing here. I think he enjoys the fan base. I... I I think he gets this city in a way not many athletes truly do. But the same thing's going to happen. Like, if you don't surround him properly, he's going to do the same thing, and he'll end up wanting a trade as well because eventually these guys want to win. Like, there are a lot of, of star players in the NBA. There are a lot of guys in the NBA who put up numbers and can compete for individual awards. But your legacy really hinges on winning championships. That's how people are judged in that league is have you won a championship or not? 
that's all anybody really remembers. Like, a guy like James Harden, yeah, he's had great statistical years. He has been an MVP. He has had uh, won scoring titles and all these different accomplishments. But when you talk about James Harden, one of the first things that always comes to mind is the fact that, oh, he chokes in the playoffs. You know, his teams have lost in the playoffs. And it's what all players at some point want is to win. And if the Sixers don't surround Embiid now, he's going to ask out in, in a year or two anyway. Uh, let's go to Jimmy in Mount Holly. What's up, Jimmy? Yeah, on December the 19th, uh, Washington is going to be coming in here on a five-game winning streak. And believe me when I tell you, it will be a five-game winning streak. Now, if they would have beat us at the link, would you agree that the season is effectively over flatline as far as the playoffs are concerned? No, I would not agree with that, Jimmy, because the Eagles could win their last three and finish nine and eight. And like I think ultimately if they were to go three and one and split with Washington, I think that would be good enough to get them in. All right. If Gardner Minshew starts, and I suspect that he will, and plays even better than he did against the Jets, he gets Devontae involved, maybe even Rager on, on a couple of catches. At that point, do you stick with him the following week, even if Jalen Hurts is the picture of perfect health? Oh, I think you'd have to. If, if Minshew were to play against Washington and play that well and uh, win that game, I think you'd have to stick with him. Why do you think that, that Minshew is going to start that game, Jimmy? Well, I mean, I'm listening to the reports. First of all, you saw how severe the injury was. Like Howard described it on the radio. as a, They used more tape on that ankle than I ever saw. Okay, it's a high ankle sprain. I mean, as it turns out, if you believe Jay Glazer, which I do, it's not quite as severe as Kyler Murray, and that his high ankle sprain kept him out for close to five weeks. I don't think he's going to be sufficiently healthy. And the kind of game he plays where his legs are so critical to the effectiveness of his game, I mean, they can't dare play with that because not only do they want to win, but they may really hurt this guy. If he's not 100%, I don't think he's going to be 100%, and I don't think he's going to play. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that possibility, Jimmy, and I guess we'll we'll find out uh, as we move forward here uh, the next week or so and, and see how it how it all plays out, whether Jalen's practicing when we get back. But yeah, it's an interesting possibility, and yeah, if Minshew plays, I think we're at the point now where if he plays that well and the Eagles win, I don't know how you wouldn't roll with them, but it would be an interesting decision for sure. Tom, you're showing the characteristic wisdom, and that's why I like to listen to you, and also the great entertainment with the uh, social media gripes. I have a question. I was listening earlier. This Jeff that's going to do this Barstool gig, yeah. is that Jeff from Camden? No, no, that's not Jeff from Camden. This is a this is a different Jeff, uh, Jimmy, who, who used to call. I don't know if he calls anymore. I don't think he really calls much anymore. But, yeah, he's in their uh, their main event on Friday for this now, do you consider Damian Lillard a great basketball player? Because Mike and Angelina and I don't. A great player? I mean, I don't think he's like an all-time great. I think he's uh, one of the stars in the league right now. He's probably one of the top 10 to 15 players in the league right now. Yeah, but the way I describe him is just that. And he's just a killer assassin in the clutch. He's kind of like a... Um, better, a little bit better than a big shot Bob Ory, who was a pretty damn good player himself, so-called back in the day. But uh, 
I was, you have time. I'm listening to the silly argument about the, these old heads, and I'm not one of them, even though chronologically I am. That but hanging on to this Montana crap. I mean, were you hearing any of that before? No, I, I, I haven't. What, what are you, what are you referencing? Well, I mean, they're, 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 these people were calling into this silly nonsense about, well, back in my day, they hit and all that kind of stuff. And here's what I would tell them. I, I don't know how historic you are with, with the Eagles, but Jaworski got hit in the back by Mike Hartenstein in a game in the 80s. Same exact hit that Leonard Marshall knocked Montana into the next galaxy. I mean, Jaworski got up like it was a day at the beach. I think Tom Terrific would have done the same thing. So that, that silly argument is, is completely nonsensical. I mean, to me, Brady was a better quarterback before he even beat the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, I know you think he's the GOAT. and he's yeah. your, You know you do. Next time you're with one of these people, ask them very seriously, not rhetorically, and do you still think that – that Wayne Gretzky is not as good as Bobby Orr. And if they tell if they tell you that Orr is better than Wayne Gretzky, you you know what their issue is. I mean, this whole old school mentality, which is just narrow minded and stupid. All right. Well, I I will do that, Jimmy. And before you get out of here, I got to ask you who do you who do you like tonight in the uh, Thursday night football game? Well, Mike and I, we like the Steelers with a money line. In fact, you, oh. you don't even need the points. And plus, while you're here, I, I, I appreciate you asking me this. I mean, it shows you have some regard for my pick. The, the, of course the I have regard football, for your picks. The, the Washington foot, and you and you and Mike are pretty good, too. The, the Washington football team is, is what you want to do. I mean, we don't want that to happen. And here, let me give you another one. The Niners are going to beat Cincinnati, and I'm, I can't wait to hear the rest of the show. You provide me great entertainment, and I'm always grateful for that. Well, thank you, Jimmy. I really appreciate it. Take it easy. So Jimmy likes the uh, the Steelers tonight. We'll 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 pick that game uh, before we get out of here. We'll do our our all our picks. Mike and I need to go head to head again this week um, because we tied last week. We differed on six games. In those six games, we both went three and three. Uh, so we're gonna go head to head again. Uh, but I'm on after Thursday night football till 2 a.m. tonight. So uh, we will uh, do that competition uh, again tonight. But I guess we'll get started in the next segment. We'll pick this Thursday night game between the Steelers and the Vikings. A pretty, pretty big game um, and really like kind of like an elimination game for, for both those teams. Like you look at the AFC where the Steelers are right now, 6-5-1 and one. Uh, in the NFC. They'd be sitting pretty for a playoff spot in the AFC. Uh, on the outside looking in, and they really can't afford to lose this one. And the Vikings, obviously, coming off that Detroit loss, can't afford to lose either. So uh, should be a, a pretty entertaining matchup on Thursday night. 215-592. What do you got, Mike? You got something for me there? Sure. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for one more segment here before we talk to Al for the overlap show coming up next. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Time to uh, get in a few more calls. I did need to call Jimmy out on one thing, though, that I didn't get a chance to during his call. Is He said Damian Lillard is a slightly better version of Robert Ory. I don't, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, Robert Ory made big shots at the end of games, but he's not anywhere close to the player uh, that Damian Lillard is. They're not, you know, similar players in any way. And uh, Robert Ory is a role player. Damian Lillard is a, a star. So uh, I don't, I don't agree with that assessment that uh, Robert Ory was a slightly, or that Damian Lillard is a slightly better version uh, of Robert Ory. I guess maybe late games they both hit. Big shots late in games. That's somewhat similar, but other than that, not seeing a lot of the uh, not seeing a lot of the similarities between the two. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, some of the things we've been talking about tonight, uh, the Sixers much of the night as they beat the Hornets on Wednesday, one ten to one oh six. They win both these games in Charlotte uh, as they play kind of the, like a two game back to back against the Hornets. Um, but, again, like, they need to gut it out late against a team that's down a bunch of players due to COVID. And, I mean, they find a way to get it done. I guess they deserve credit for that. They're 14-11 now. They've won three in a row. But this one on Wednesday was especially discouraging to me because you're on the front half of a back-to-back. Like, you know you have a tough opponent coming in on Thursday night in the Utah Jazz. You follow that up with Golden State on Saturday. Like, ideally, you would have been able to win this game going away on Wednesday. You should have been able to win this game going away. You should have been able to get by playing Joel Embiid 25 or fewer minutes. But, you know, you struggle. You have to grind it out at the end. Embiid needs to carry you again. And it's just... It's just too much. You're asking him to do too much. And I know people hate load management. They don't like the way it goes in the NBA these days. Guys don't play every night. Guys don't play a ton of minutes. Well, it's what you need to do. Like, it's how you keep these players fresh. It's how you keep a guy like Embiid fresh come the end of the season. And right now, you know, the Sixers are putting a lot of weight on his shoulders. And if you're going to compete for a championship like you don't you don't have the components you need right now like there is zero percent chance if the Sixers went into the postseason with anything resembling the roster they have right now they're just they're done like they're not getting out of the second round certainly they might not be getting out of the first round and it's incumbent on Daryl Morey before the deadline to find a way to make a big move and I mean, I think Lillard's the guy. Uh, I think he's going to get traded. It, it sounds like the things you're you're hearing out of Portland, the rumblings have not gone away. I think that was kind of the hope with the Blazers coming into the season after you hear the kind of talk in the summer. Is Damian Lillard wavering? Would Portland consider trading him? Ideally for them, they would have gotten off to a good start, and all this talk would have gone away. It's gone the opposite way. They're 11-15. and 15, Um at best, they're going to be a playing team. Uh, if they are going to 
rebuild it is by far in their best interest to do it now now is when you're going to get the most value for a guy like Lillard um and I think it's going to end up happening now Stephen A as you heard uh in the four o'clock hour said that Lillard right now if you were to get moved his top choice would be New York because of the garden and how he feels like he'd be able to recruit players to play with him with the Knicks. The Sixers just can't let that happen. Like if he ends up getting traded, Daryl Morey, Joel Embiid, whoever needs to get involved to make sure that Damian Lillard would become a Sixer. They need to find a way to make that happen. That's the kind of player you need. Um, and it would change the look and the feel and the, uh, the future outlook for this team uh, dramatically. So we've been talking about that, talking about the Flyers earlier on. Their losing streak reaches 10 with another listless performance on Wednesday night. They lose the Devils 3-0, and I just I don't know how they solve this problem. Like, I think it's time to rebuild. I think um, I don't know how you could blow it up. I know they have some contracts that seem – to be unmovable at this point, but that core is not going to win. And you look at the last decade for this team, it's been, it feels like somewhat of a waste of time. Like you have been banging your head up against the wall. Like every other year you make the playoffs once or twice, you advance to the second round. But aside from that, uh, you know, you're not really competing in a, a meaningful way. And, you know, it, it feels like this could be a longer process um, in how they need to rebuild this thing. And it's uh, it's frustrating. And, and a season that got off to a decent start, it seemed like there was some hope, uh, but it's it's totally falling apart. And it doesn't, you know, I, I think everybody pretty much realized it wasn't Elaine Vigneault's fault, but you're hoping when you fire a coach, at the least you get, a team that responds and you know, you get that initial, that initial motivation from a change being made. It doesn't even seem like that's happened. I mean, Monday night, you give up seven goals. You get shut out three, nothing by a division rival on Wednesday. Um, and it just, just does not seem to be headed in the right direction at all for the Flyers right now. So we've been talking about that, talking about the Eagles a little earlier on. And uh, before we get out of here, I did want to get to some other thing from the Eagles game on Sunday that I never got the chance to touch on this week. We've had a lot of other stuff going on, talking about the quarterback situation. But I I didn't see this uh, when it happened. Uh, but apparently Jets linebacker C.J. Mosley was really upset with the Eagles during the coin toss. And he was upset thinking the Eagles were disrespecting the Jets uh, during that game on Sunday. Here's what C.J. Mosley had to say uh, after the game about what the Eagles did on the field on Sunday. At the end of the day, um, it's, it's all about respect. And, and right now, you know, teams are not respecting us. It was all over the field. You know, I, I saw, you know, the, in the coin toss, no handshake. Um, Cox was laughing at Sala, Coach Sala, when he was trying to, he was fighting for us, trying to get a play, trying to get a, a play call. So I mean, you, you see that stuff and you feel that stuff. And as a competitor, you know, as a warrior, you know, as a when you fight with your brother, that that pisses you off. Well, uh, I don't really 
know what he's talking about with the coin toss. There was like a picture of Fletcher Cox uh, hugging somebody during the coin toss. So I don't know what happened there. As far as him laughing at Robert Sala, I would say have a little thicker skin. I mean, I think at the time Sala was trying to challenge a pass interference call, which I'd laugh at him too. Like, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, so I, I don't know what Mosley's so upset about. Here's more. Here's Nick Sirianni uh, addressing those comments by C.J. Mosley. As far as uh, C.J. Mosley's uh, comments, um, you know, obviously we always just want to be respectful to our opponents. Uh, I did like I did like Fletch's response to that they didn't shake hands. Well, at least they hugged uh, before the game. So I thought that was clever by by Fletch. But we, we respect the Jets. I, I, I do believe that. We respect every opponent we play. Um, I, I, you know, I, I have a ton of respect for uh, Coach Sala and the job that he's doing. I want to continue to have that relationship with him. Uh, we know similar people because I want to I want to continue to practice against them uh, in training camp. I think that I think that uh, that was good for both sides to be able to do that. And so we just want to keep that relationship uh, going. Uh, but you know, I, you know, I understand uh, the frustrations that happen out there. And so um, you know, no no other comment than than, than that right there. Yeah, I think you know from Mosley's perspective, it's probably got to be frustrating playing for the Jets I mean he signed there so that's kind of on him but you go from playing with the Baltimore Ravens going playing with the Jets it's a pretty significant step down and not just the team you're playing with but the kind of reputation of the organization and this is something the Jets have kind of been dealing with for years here's Robert Sala on uh, them being disrespected no, you know, it's he's on the field, he, all the trash talking and all that stuff, and he'd be frustrated. Um, CJ's 100% right. Uh, respect in this league is earned. Uh, it's not given. And uh, as an organization, we've got to find a way to go take it. No one's going to give it to us. No one's going to give us calls. No one's going to no feel sorry for us. And, uh, you know, this organization has been through a rough time over the last 10 years, and it's not something that's easy to fix. It's not easy to change a narrative. It's not easy to change perception. CJ's 100% right. I got his back on that one. And that. Um, we're going to get this thing flipped and we're going to change the narrative and we're going to earn the respect that we deserve. And, uh, and while it might be frustrating now, I know that there's, there's something good happening and it's going to happen. And that's the thing. Like, if you're being disrespected, now again, I don't know exactly what the Eagles did. I mean, if Fletcher Cox, if, if it's laughing at the coach, is <laughs> the disrespect, I think Mosley is uh, being a little oversensitive with that. But you know, Sal was right. I mean, they got to change it. They got to play better. And here was former Jets coach uh, Rex Ryan with his thoughts on Mosley's comments. That's one of the, the, the worst comments I think I've ever seen. And right here, man, you can't stand for it. And so to me, C.J. Mosley and company, man, we got to drop the mitts. Yeah. That if we're being disrespected, it's on. It's mm -hmm. absolutely on. But you you got to quit. You got to draw a line, that, uh, uh, you know, a line, a, a in, the line in the sand yeah. and say, the hell with it. It ain't happening anymore. 100%. And you got to stand for something. They ain't standing for anything. And so to me, that, that pisses me off. And you talk about changes. Next year, they have to get it right. They absolutely 100% have to get it right and bring in the right kind of guys that refuse to let something like that happen. So, you know, Rex uh, is on on board with the Jets, you know, getting it corrected. And, and by the way, Mike. Getting what corrected, though? I, I don't know. As far as the disrespect, you know, you, you got you to play better. You got to win. That's how you get respect. Okay. 
Um, what's the matter? I just I don't understand what Rex was saying there. Well, by the way, and I, I, yeah, I don't really know what Rex was saying either, to be honest with you. But to go back to that uh, debate we were having a couple weeks ago, as far as Rex and Sala yeah. and that fight, did you see what Rex did after all that? The backtracking that he did. No, Sala called him. Uh, I guess, to have a conversation when Rex said, well, he could call me. And Rex went on the next day and pretty much said, oh, I'm totally sold on this guy. He's going to be a great coach. So right. I think we got we got to give that one to Sala. I think yeah, Rex kind of – I think Sala won the, won the fight. You know, they were going to have a fight, and Rex, Rex cowered out. Rex, oh, I was Rex arguing- backtracked. Oh, okay. I, I thought you were talking about who's actually a better coach, because Rex Ryan's clearly a better coach. Uh, I don't know about that. Sal was in his first year. You know, give give, give the Rex guy Rex went to the AFC Championship game his first year. What yeah, he's in his I first mean, year? he inherited Man Genius's team. It's if Sanchez. Man, yeah. yeah. Uh, that that was his quarterback. That was his guy. Maybe if he had a better quarterback, he would have won. But Maybe if they drafted he, a better quarterback for him. He, he liked Sanchez. He drafted Sanchez, no, he didn't, didn't he? No. Are you sure? He was the head coach. He wasn't the GM. Yeah, well, I mean, the head coach has say in in the quarterback. I not mean, a rookie like that. Disagree, but uh, I, I not I, a rookie linebacker coach. Like oh, that. come on, head coaches have say. I mean, you don't think Chip had say in his quarterback? You don't think Andy had say in drafting Donovan? No, of course he I, did. I, I just think he was happy to have the job. I don't think you know he was standing in the way of Sanchez. Well, whatever. It, it, it honestly doesn't really matter. But uh, I, I think that was a, a pretty cowardly move of Rex to backtrack after all that tough talking. Uh, with Salah the day before. I like how we do it. Uh, we just did a Jets check-in segment. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to check in on that. Uh, on that, on that disrespect feud. It's like a reverse behind enemy lines. It's like we do it for the previous opponent. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought it was interesting that uh, they thought the Eagles were disrespecting them. I still don't yeah. understand exactly how they disrespected them, um, but uh, I, I wanted to get that in there. C.J. Mosley complaining. Uh, for God knows what reason. I don't think he's played. actually saying uh, that the Eagles are disrespectful. I, I think what he's saying is teams don't view us with respect. Teams don't come in here in here fearing us. Teams view this as like a laughing matter. Like, you know, teams, are, you know, there's no sweat in playing us. They're not afraid of us. That like, while like there's a pause in the game or whatever, they're sitting over there laughing instead of like being focused and locked in on this. Like we don't. We don't command respect, I think is what he's saying. Maybe. I didn't take it that way. I thought that's what Sal was saying. I thought Mosley was upset with uh, with Fletcher specifically, uh, with with what he did, uh, laughing at the coach. I mean, if he's challenging a pass interference, I think that deserves to get laughed at, though. <laughs> um, but uh, let's pick this game tonight, Mike. So we got the Steelers at the, at the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Vikings giving up three at home. Who do you like in this game? I like the Steelers. You like the Steelers? Yeah. Any any other reason? I actually why? think they went outright. Okay. And any any reason? You know, they they actually thought they actually, I actually thought they looked pretty good uh, Sunday. You know, hosting Baltimore. Obviously, they have won some of these bigger games. This one, Cleveland. You know, when they're they you know there are some games where they feel like they don't need. They kind of they look like it. But I don't know. I just kind of feel like they do have one last ride in them here, and this isn't. This isn't going to be the end of the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, for the season yet. It, I I feel like you want you really want to say this is a Tomlin game. I mean that that, that no, that's what I'm I sensing. Just, no, you know what it is. Uh, hearing all the players speak this week, I was listening to a lot of their their stuff. Um, I don't know, just kind of I, I guess NFL Network I was watching, 
And I do think they're they are going to rally around Ben's, you know, privately telling them this is the last ride. The last ride in Pittsburgh for him. Um, yeah, it's weird they keep saying in Pittsburgh. Right. It's like, where, like, who's taking him? I think, uh, who's taking who that? You know? He's been terrible. A team with a really good defense, maybe they could win, like, the way Peyton Manning went. How about Denver? Dem- I mean, Pittsburgh does have a good defense, and they're not winning. It's <laughs> good point. Um, but who knows? He could catch on somewhere. Maybe uh, it seems like he still wants to play because I took note of that phrasing as well. Um, but we'll go head to head on this one. I, I actually like the Vikings. Right. I think the Vikings respond tonight. Uh, so they'll give you a rooting interest. Um, now, what happens if the Vikings win by a field goal? This one just doesn't count. It's just a push. Yes. All right. Then we remain tied. Disappointing. But uh, I'll I'll take the Vikings uh, tonight minus the three. Big uh, Coach Zimmer guy. No, you know what? I just this is just one of those feeling games. Just like flow of the season games. The Vikings they're coming off that horrible loss to Detroit. I don't think the Steelers are that good. Yeah, exactly. Um, they lost to Detroit, and you're back. Here. Yeah. Well, I I just think they're going to respond and, and win this one tonight. But we'll okay. see. We'll see how it all plays out. And. Uh, I'll be back on tonight. I'll be back on after that game until 2 a.m. So I'll talk to you then. Next up, we will talk to Al for the Overlap Show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 